Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IP's top 250 movies of all time. And sometimes movies that have never been on this list or even the bottom 100 as well. So yes, joining me for this, I'm your host, Darren Moon, and joining me for this discussion is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Um, I do not deviate from script well, as we may have just realized. <laughs> That's fine. You, you you got through that so quickly that I don't think anybody will notice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was your reference to it that that, it, that that makes it bad. I'm going to slow it down by not answering your question like straight away. That's a good strategy. No, um, I am well, Darren. I'm reconciling myself to this um, series <laughs> of that we films are about to have. <laughs> that, we're, Our, that we're doing. You have to you have to use the name the Indiana Summer. The Indiana August. Summer. Um, yeah. It's our Indiana Summer of Indiana Jones movies. On the IMDb 250. <laughs> Set in India, but shot in Sri Lanka for reasons that we will come back to yeah. very briefly. The... <laughs> you have yeah. confused Indiana, India with Indiana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, what we normally yeah. do is normally around this time of year, we would have on uh, our expert in Indian film, uh, and Ireland's expert in Indian film, uh, Professor Jambazo Rampazo. Uh, and we'd also have Babu Patel, the 250s expert in cricket, but obviously that hasn't been viable kind of with like recording remotely. So we decided we'd do the next best thing. We would discuss the Indiana Joan movies and with a spectacular co-host joining us for all four episodes this season. the most sensitive <laughs> choice we could have made. Yeah. It was the most tactful choice we could possibly have made. Uh, but joining us, we have a co-host joining us for all four episodes. The one for Tony Black. How are you, Tony? Molaram, Solaram, Molaram, Solaram. I'm fine. Sorry, I was just momentarily um, voodoo dolled into uh, being part of the Fuggy Cult. Yes, I'm very well. Thanks. It's nice to be back after our Raiders chat. <laughs> yeah, as ever. Um, and joining us for this discussion, apparently having drawn the short straw, Alex Towers. How are you, Alex? Not too bad. Happy to be here as ever. You've been sitting there in the in the Zoom chat for like a whole seven days. Yeah, <laughs> um. yeah just waiting. <laughs> just waiting for everybody else to come back. No, again, I did actually reach out to Alex during the week when I was kind of watching this and I was thinking, this is an interesting movie. I feel like we should have a full house discussing it. Who will I ask that I, I know will be too polite to say no and will have something interesting <laughs> to say um, about Spielberg, particularly at this moment in time? And I said, yep, Alex. So thank you very much, Alex, for kind of signing on. No, no, on no. I'm, I'm glad to have become the guy who, yeah, complains about Spielberg. When most of the time, like, I like the films we're talking about as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right, then. So, yes, Temple of Doom. It is the only Indiana Jones movie that has never made the 250. It is uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, perhaps surprisingly it is was regarded as the runt of the litter when there were only three of them it was frequently kind of like forgotten overlooked seen as being the weakest entry in the franchise it's a movie that steven spielberg has tried to put some distance between himself and it in hindsight arguing that you know maybe he listened too much to george lucas in making that one arguing that like on all and it tends to come up when he talks about this he talks about king of the crystal skull seeing himself as a director for hire on the project and just kind of like saying the best thing that came out of it was my marriage to kate capshaw who plays obviously willie scott the character in this movie um as alex alluded to very briefly at the end of last week's episode the movie does have big divorce dad energy because it was very much the product of two creative forces working through their own separations at the time. Lucas was, as we mentioned in our Return of the Jedi episode last Christmas, working through his divorce from Marsha Lucas, who had been like a not only like 
part of his life since, you know, his, his teenage years or whatever, but had arguably also been a key creative force and collaborator working with him on the Star Wars movies. And a lot of that got poured into the movie, but there was also the relationship that kind of uh, Spielberg was working through as well, where Spielberg was going through his own separation as well. And that kind of cast a shadow over uh, the movie in question. And there's perhaps some other stuff that we will we will talk about later as well that I, I think is worth talking about. And I think Alex had talked about it briefly on the Jurassic Park episode as well. I think some of that shines through. But before we delve into any of that, um, we talked about like Tony's relationship to the Indiana Jones movies uh, last week. But Alex, what about yourself in terms of like the Indiana Jones films? Do you remember the first time you saw them? Do you have a favorite of them? What's your general reaction to all four of them? Yeah, sure. Um, the funny thing is this was one of the reasons I was enthusiastic to, to come on and this podcast was this was actually the, the first Indiana Jones film I saw. And so very much set the template in my brain for what this universe was and, and how much fun it is. And I'm sure we'll get into this as well about like why some of the Indiana Jones films tend to be so revered and everything. But, you know, when a, when a film arrives at a particular time, and for me, it was when I was a child in Canada, my friend Josh had this on VHS and, you know, I watched it with him one summer. And so, you know, it was incredible in that, that way that like, you know, a child tends to completely absorb a film. And I, I talked about that a lot on Jurassic Park. There's another film from that kind of era that you experience as a child, and it, it really is incredible. But I was thinking about it in relation to Spielberg, and it does kind of feel like, it, it kind of feels like, you know, there, there's always going to be a reverence, I think, or not a reverence, but an affection for Temple of Doom and, and for the wider Indiana Jones films for me, even if I look at it now as an adult and kind of see the seams and the issues and a lot of the, the the problems with the film you know it, it does kind of feel like you know religion or something that you know i was raised catholic and i'm now an atheist but i will go into a church and stay quiet because there is some hard wiring in my brain i can recite the our father just naturally because in in, in irish as well you just because you don't catch flame into, exactly i don't catch flame um <laughs> But that's you what just I, don't look directly at us. Yes, um, you can't put your hand. Whatever you do, in don't, the open the don't open the eyes. Don't open the eyes. Yeah, you stay tight yeah. to the Al Pacino in, uh, in Devil's Devil Advocate. Advocate. Yeah, but there's there is that with Spielberg. I find that like even if I'm looking at these kind of films as an adult and sort of thinking like, oh, that was a bit weird. Oh, that why he just punched a lady or something. You're still always a little like, oh yeah, but this is this is Spielberg. This is Temple of Doom. This is like one of the the big ones. So. It, it, it'll, it's always an interesting one because it came at a time where I wouldn't have even thought critically about films. And it's funny, and at the end of the last episode, when you were talking about uh, the dreaded fourth one we don't talk about, I think it was really only when I saw that as a teenager and people were saying like, oh, it's, um, I don't know if it's better or worse than Temple of Doom. And I was surprised. I was like, wait, why is Temple of Doom bad? You know, because <laughs> as a child, I had just yeah. watched all three of these and all three were incredible. And then therefore... <laughs> Uh, when the fourth one Classics came out, it did make me watch them again and be like, oh, yeah, I kind of, you know. Um, and I think this one, as we'll get into, being sandwiched between two much more better realized films is, you know, is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's. But then I also have a personal um, great deal of affection just for Indiana Jones. Um, I, too, was named after the family dog. So I always thought that was like a, a connection between me and Indiana Jones. <laughs> and it's impossible like as a teenager actually i was very lucky to travel around um the middle east with my bearded gruff father and uh there's a we actually like rode camels to the um temple uh, of uh, the treasury in petra 
which oh, is the the one right. from the, the, the end yeah. of the third one. And that was incredible. And at the time, I remember I was old enough even then to sort of think like, stop thinking this is like Indiana Jones. This is an incredible temple that's been here hundreds of years. <laughs> I would have done the you same. Need to, yeah, you need, yeah, you need totally. to appreciate this as like the, the magic. A monument and of the monument. achievement. And then I'd look over at my gruff dad <laughs> complaining about his camel and I'd be like arriving and be like, this is kind of like Jones, so it's impossible not to have that reference. And um, yeah, and, and was that was the also... tour guide shot your father, and you had to go into the temple. Well, that was that was just. It too didn't much. help that like the tour guides all there, like they know this, so they have like the museum, and then they have the Indiana Jones Museum right beside it with a picture of Harrison <laughs> Ford. Yeah. yeah, so like if you want, you can come in yeah. and buy a bullwhip and pose and everything. Yeah, they they now have a Mortal Kombat. Um, yeah. <laughs> section well. annihilation annihilation yeah. when they were destroyed Petra the one right. thing I was slightly disappointed by is if you go into the Temple of Petra you know it's really just a, like a very small room <laughs> there's nothing else there there's not like some you know booby traps and a night and like a big chamber there's none of that so yeah it's because they had to rebuild it after the earthquake <laughs> yes, Alex that's true um, <laughs> the end of the film yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Tony what about yourself in terms of like particular memories of Temple of Doom like do you remember seeing Temple of Doom for the first time do you see it before or after the other ones what was it like kind of coming to it I, I don't know in terms of the order but i definitely remember seeing this when i was a young very young boy in the late 1980s because they were always on tv even then um or it felt like they were at least anyway or on vhs um and, and i was a bit too young to see last crusade in the cinema i missed that by about two or three years so i definitely was too young for temple of doom but I've always had a funny relationship with this one because it's probably the, the, aside from Crystal Skull, it's the Indiana Jones film I've seen the least. Um, however, <laughs> and I, I don't like the term hot take because it assumes that, you know, your, 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 your own personal <laughs> view is more, is more amazing than everyone else. But I actually prefer Crystal Skull to this, um, which I'm probably the only person in the entire world who actually likes Crystal Skull. Um, <laughs> but no we we did find one other person well that is a hot take it, it is a little bit <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but that that's not to say that i don't think temple of doom is great because i do in many ways i do think it's a really really a real roller coaster in a different way to raiders and i do remember it as a kid it really did imprint on me um i don't really remember it scaring me so much but i just remember the exhilaration and the fun of it and those particular moments particularly the final act, which as well, yeah. as I'm older, I can appreciate for just how good it is, but also just how much it sweeps you along. So I was very fond of it, but I always remember thinking it was my least favourite of three films and then four. Well, four, I like Crystal Skull. I love the first three. So three films that I love, it's the least favourite of those. But I do have, I'm very fond of it. Um. And Andrew, what about yourself? Do you remember your first experience with Temple of Doom and like as compared to the other two at the time and, and kind of other three in general? I think I do. I, I feel like um, this might have had that effect that um, sequels have where because it's kind of, you know, an established thing, um, more people end up watching it or, or that there's more sort of merchandise as well around us. Because they're, you know, they, they're, they're like, this is a hit. We're going to sell so many things. I remember the pinball machine from <laughs> a, um, yes, from a, a holiday in uh, Majorca. 
um and um yeah just playing that pinball machine forever um and it having kind of um a, a short round <laughs> um in it and 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 things um but no and i i the the i remember it being it, it, like evoking a lot of um sort of disgust like like the um the 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 scene with the with the Maharaja though like I don't think it spoils anything kind of going into it but in case people don't want a discussion of it we 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 don't have to we can talk about it later but that stuck with me yeah um the dinner sequence the dinner sequence yeah 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 it did a lot and the, the it's kind of um this is the, I I remember it as well because it's very exciting. It makes it makes Raiders look kind of uh, boring by comparison. Um, so it's interesting watching it as an adult and kind of um, maybe figuring out how I feel about it now. Reassessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like we did we did joke off mic like we did talk off mic that you watched the two of them together for these podcasts that we don't yeah. about grouping them and you did a group of two and I think you you kind of suggested that maybe. Maybe your reaction to Raiders last week was coloured in some way yeah. by the fact that you watched it back to back with Temple of Doom, perhaps. I've written down, this is a bottom 100 movie. Um, why are we watching these? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and to, to answer your second question first, yes, this is, this is a one for me. This is very much a one for me. Um, this is, yeah, I this is a problematic favourite of mine. I adore Temple of Doom. Um, I love Temple of Doom with all my I do through and through I like it's there are all of all of the criticisms of it are valid all of the problems with it are there all of the reasons that you would want to say screw this movie don't watch this movie it's a stain on whatever are there entirely as well but it is a movie that I watched as a kid it's the of the Indiana Jones movies, it's the one that I have the most vivid memory of watching as a kid. It's, it's also the one that gave me nightmares as a kid. And it's one that taps into, and we'll maybe talk about it kind of like later on in the spoiler zone, but it's one that taps into what was for me as a kid, a very real and very tangible fear. Not necessarily that I would be abducted from my home and forced to mine for Shankara stones <laughs> uh, underneath a, like Indian palace. But the the idea that mom and dad might stop loving each other and dad might become a different person and I might end up caught in a tug of war between them taken away from my home. Like, it's that, it's, it is a divorce movie through and through to they, its their, absolute Their fabric. love for each other will never die down. They, they might go off you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they can do without you. But no, no, they yeah. They're stable. Yeah, but no, as, as, a, as a, yeah, no, my, my parents are, are stable. But like, as a kid, that was like, that was a big fear and nightmare for me that I think Temple of Doom kind of tapped into in this weird Grand Guignol kind of way that I picked up on as an eight-year-old, which is like, because it does, it has the character of Short Round, who is a kid and an audience identification character. And it's about him watching, like, his father figure, Indiana Jones, and this woman who's kind of swept into his life, and the two of them interacting with each other and hating each other, and Indy becoming this, like, literally drinking... Not Okay, but we'll, we'll save that yeah, for the spoiler zone. But, like, it, like, it's very, very that's, vivid in that it's sense. It's weird that you say that as, like, this is why... Because, I, like, I understand the kind of... And, and, like, what you're saying makes perfect sense, but I expected your reaction to be sort of, like, that it's like, you know, like pushing a whole lot of fizzy snakes 
into your mouth, <laughs> like just like covered in sugar, and you're like, nah, 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 nah. and uh, and it just being kind of you know um, exciting. Um, no, no, in, it's in, horrifying in, in a very kind of a a, a a a way that's satisfying for a child. But no, that that was horrifying. Okay. As an eight year old kid, this was terror. This was my nightmare. It's like, by the way, your parents are getting divorced. Also, there's a thuggy court, court, and also slavery, and also whippings, and also all this other horrible stuff happening as well. So it kind of stuck with me for that. So yeah, no, I will always have a deep abiding affection for. Uh, Temple of Doom uh, for those reasons I think as well um, alright then but before we jump into this war zone three questions to get us started so Alex go first do you think Temple of Doom I can't even say this straight but do you think Temple of Doom belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made I mean I, I think I feel like this is an easy round yeah um, we're probably all like going to a say short round no. as it were hey. um, <laughs> yeah I, I think no is 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 the answer um to sort of like elaborate a bit, I think what's what's really interesting is uh, when I was watching this on whatever platform I ordered it on, I got a little interesting pop up that said like this film was made at a time when you know people were more casually Same. racist than, oh, yeah. than I, I they saw were. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I thought that was interesting because I've got a few of those lately, and um, you know, I, I realized that for certain films, especially like Gone with the Wind and stuff, it is important you you put them in a a context um, before watching them. And then so you, you can't be accused of, say, distributing them and all, and all the other things that if you're framing it and you're sort of saying that, it, it's kind of like the way old DVDs used to come with, like, the commentaries are not the reflection of 20th Century Fox. You know, that's <laughs> whatever David Fitcher says about Brad Pitt's divorce, that's on him, not on us. Um, so, I, you know, it's interesting to get these in a, in a different context. And it's just I hadn't seen one like that for a film that felt still so modern. Like, it, yeah. This isn't that old a film. We all watched it as children because it was, you know, the film that was on television. And um, for all the reasons we'll, we'll get into, I, it definitely does need that framing device. But yes. at the same time, I, I was kind of thinking about like that that Indiana Jones thing that you, you it belongs in a museum. This should be preserved <laughs> as this interesting little curio that is Spielberg at his nadir and yeah. Lucas, you know, maybe not Lucas is working nadir, but Lucas working through some stuff. <laughs> And even like an extremely gruff Harrison Ford and and then all the types of things that a a major studio producing apparatus in the 1980s thought were fine and thought like this will be great, you know, and and it wasn't that long ago. So for all those reasons, I obviously don't think it should be in the top 250. Um, but I, I kind of, you know, like when you're, you're when you're talking about Indiana Jones, it's it's always should be there. This should be something that is thought about and reflected and included for in all the discussions about the films that might be in the 250 like Raiders or the the Last Crusade. Wasn't that Kate Capshaw's comment when um they were interviewing her for the release of the Crystal Skull when they were talking about like the release of the Blu-ray box set and she said thank goodness it's a box set that means at least Temple will be in there. Yeah. That was kind of her response to it. But I <laughs> and I think actually this this gets at kind of something interesting and cuz we had this conversation we alluded to it last week on Raiders and we're probably going to have it in more depth in this war zone where Andrew asks, like, are people concerned about, you know, coming to cancel? I hate that word, but coming to to critique Indiana Jones. And I've discovered that, yes, Indiana Jones fans are incredibly sensitive about this stuff, which is very, Who, very weird. Who'd have thought um, <laughs> Who'd have thought people on the Internet are very defensive about things that they like and criticism of things that they like. But like. Because I I wrote a I wrote I, on Letterbox. The You're kind of doing an Indiana Jones now, and it's just wrote... women. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, well, we'll talk about that when we get to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Um, <laughs> I would love like, I if that new, you know, fifth Indiana Phoebe Jones Waller. was like Harrison Ford being like, come on, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, we're going on an adventure. And then he just dies of a heart attack. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge like, picks up Takes his hat off. and sort of like looks at the camera. And then like... <laughs> We've got your money now. You yeah. bought your ticket now. <laughs> it's too late. All the, all the guys are like, no. <laughs> wearing their fedoras yeah. themselves as well yeah. um but like but like that's the thing is like i left a like a four and a half star review of kind of like temple of doom where i was like oh by the way it has a lot of really really dicey stuff in there like even by the standards of the time this was not cool four and a half stars out of five pretty much close to perfect and i still get comments going well man i used to like your reviews but now you've gone all woke yeah. and i was like a four and a half star review of a movie most people don't like anyway i feel like that's maybe not the hill on which to die that's what i was trying to get at with the the religion comment that it's it's kind of impossible to like break away critically for these films that inevitably played such a part of of your childhood because yeah and particularly if you're like a little white male boy you're going to have the loudest voice in a lot of rooms and and there's going to be a lot of like defensiveness over something so weird as well like it's fine to watch it and be like oh yeah i remember watching that as a kid and thought that the monkey brain scene was you know hilarious yeah yeah. like like i mean like i I don't think we're like we're not going to be like tearing this thing down too much i don't think but like like even acknowledging that the problem exists and is there is weird yeah yeah, like, there's no need to tear it down. It's already crumbled and collapsed <laughs> yeah. into itself. Um, but no, like, it, it's very strange how, like, weirdly, intensely defensive people get at this. And it's like, people still like this film. It's still going to be available in box sets. Like, it's it's that thing that Alex mentioned with the warning, where, like, people get really upset about, like, you know, no! Gone with, sorry, apologies. People get really upset about, like, Gone with the Wind having like that content warning saying, you know, it reflects the views of the time. And people get really upset about that. And it's like, it's just a warning. You you read it and you still watch the movie. One like, thing, it's just something. Sorry. One thing I will say, um, I would like them to describe what the movie is about before giving the warning. I find that the the, the warning kind of comes first. It doesn't say kind of like, yeah. you know, um, action adventure. It doesn't tell you which, what depictions which, are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With, 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 with Harrison Ford. With Harrison it, Ford. It, the, most of the description of the movie is like about how like don't watch this outdated it is yeah yeah, yeah. and it, but like like i agree with you and i to be there but i'm just kind of like that is like tell me also what the what, <laughs> the movie is. what I should expect aside from like the most racist movie ever <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but like I, I do like I, I find it weird that people get so like because the warning is there, but it is still readily accessible. You can still watch it, you can still buy it, you can still download it, you can still talk about it. It's, it's not just odd for some reason. You probably know why, but uh, maybe they have some license that's going to expire on it. For they're, other they're building up for services. some big new 4K yeah. release this summer. I saw of like yeah. all of them, so that they might be trying to like keep it off the streaming sites to build up yeah. for that. For the forty, mm. it's for the forty. It's available actually. loads of places. Like you can get it on Sky yeah. and on Sky, um, uh, um, Google Play and places yeah, like that as well. Yeah. Apple, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Tony, what about yourself? Do you think Temple of Doom belongs on a list of the two hundred fifty greatest movies ever made? Don't feel you have to answer this all at once. Take a moment and think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't really. It's it's not it's not a terrible film. I wouldn't put it in any bottom list or anything like that. But no, for the, many of the reasons you guys have already said, no, I'm afraid not. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew, 
surprised yeah, I throw no, a curveball. No, like, I, I'm going to say no, but not not because it's um, like not just because it, like we 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 like we will speak more about what is specifically what what's kind yeah. of um, not uh, cool. So yeah, to speak about yeah, it, so. about, about it. And, uh, uh, but aside from that, it, it's not really a. Um, I was watching it. And I felt like it's not really a movie, um, uh, uh, and that it doesn't. To me, anyway, didn't didn't tell the story particularly well. I I really admire in a movie where it's like ten minutes in and you know what's happening, and <laughs> like like why who the people are, what they want, um, what the you you might have some idea of what the kind of um, uh, obstacles uh, might might uh, might be. Like I, I recently watched School of Rock. And the the kind of efficiency of that movie, like in the first kind of like nine ten minutes, where it just kind of sets up, this is who that person is, blah blah. Now this is what they want. This is the obstacle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is sequel slash prequel, right? Yeah. Um, and you could say that, like, oh, you know who Indiana Jones is, but every Bond movie does what this movie doesn't, what this movie kind of fails to do, which is set up an exciting. Um, kind of pre-credit sequence, and then uh, then establish what the, the 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 kind of movie is. What this does is it goes on for about half an hour, <laughs> um, and you've no idea what's going on, and it doesn't really kind of um, it's a it's a it's a it's it's I I felt like it was a bad movie that depends on you having seen the first movie, and I I I dislike that in the movie. Where it's 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 kind of like you know Indy, come on, let's let's like straight away you're kind of like on board this kind of roller coaster, and I guess that's what the movie is. But I also want it to be a movie and tell a story. No, that's a good point. The, like the roller coaster thing, especially because this film is far too fast. It does feel like a roller coaster. Um, but the one thing I would say is as well that it, it it's so fast, but. Yeah, like the opening in a in a nightclub, um, it does seem a little jarring because also, who is this guy? Like, if like me, you saw this one absolutely first as a kid, you're like, oh, brilliant, he's hiding behind a gong while a man shoots at him with a machine gun. <laughs> but watching it yeah. again, there's bits like, you know, he's he's dealing with gangsters. There's no like wider you know plot to that. He's literally just like, oh, I'll find some body for you and you pay me a diamond like he's just a scumbag and then when they they change it up and sort of say like ah we're gonna not pay you he's like i will stab this showgirl to death in front of you with a fork and like that's yeah. his comeback <laughs> it's I, I think we we spoke about like how the, uh harry potter and the deathly hallows part two is my least favorite movie on the list because, because it's not really a movie. Yeah, it's not really a movie. There's a whole lot of stuff happening and you're like, who are these people? What are they? Why Why is this happening? Is Harry Potter the bad guy? Um, <laughs> why do, Why? Why is he so determined to kill this person who we, <laughs> we've never met? Voldemort guy. Yeah. It just comes out of nowhere. I don't know what his deal is. I yeah. mean, okay. I, preemptively, I'm going to say my answer is obviously no to this question <laughs> um, in that this is not one of the best 250 movies ever made. I do like the idea, and it's it happens in Raiders as well, and I think Spielberg's described, it's that something, that, that thing you get from, like, the Lucas fascination with, um like, serialization and serial narratives, where, like, Star Wars becomes episode four, 
And then he goes and he backfills the previous ones. But I like that, like, the Indiana Jones movies don't really have that, where the opening acts of Indiana Jones movies are, to quote Spielberg, the closing acts of movies that you have never seen before. So, like, when he goes and gets the artifact at the start of Raiders, it's the closing notes of an adventure that. that you never saw. Here, it's also that, like, here... James they... Bond does that, but it does it well, like, in a, okay. in a kind of a concise uh, I, manner I, that I, doesn't I, kind of... Sorry. Okay. No, I... I okay, I... Absolutely. We'll come back to maybe when we talk in the spoiler zone. Like I love that opening scene. That opening scene is one of my favorite Spielberg scenes because it feels like Spielberg as a director is having fun. Oh, it's um, definitely having, fun. Yeah, no. yeah, and he's he's having fun in a way that he didn't let himself have on Raiders, I think, as well, for better and for worse. Like, there's a point where he cuts into a musical, and it's yeah. like, yeah, I didn't get to do this in 1941, but now, now Anything when goes. I produce, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, very good. So like, yeah, but like. And I think I think it works in that sense. And I think like, yeah, the scumbagness is kind of fascinating because we talked on Raiders how Harrison Ford's star persona is like he's intensely charismatic, but he resents being intensely charismatic. And I think that like with Temple of Doom, you really get that. And also he was working through a back injury while shooting the movie as well, which may have also contributed to that. But like here you get the real test case of how unlikable can like Harrison Ford be in a blockbuster like this and it's the answer is surprisingly unlikable and I kind of I I like I think that works I there's, I there's a joke kind of at the stars where like he aims to punch a gangster and the gangster ducks and he just like decks I, a waitress and you're, you're yeah. like is this, are we <laughs> yeah. supposed to laugh at this yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. no it's a staggeringly mean movie it's an incredibly aggressively mean movie it kind yeah. of reminds me of like that later Spielberg wave that you get with movies like say like the Lost World Jurassic Park. Um, or like you go on, you go to the post 9-11 stuff like War of the Worlds, for example, AI Minority Report. It has that kind of like Spielberg on a bad day vibe to it. <laughs> the Lost, like the Lost of... World also has like major divorced dad energy. Like, yes, yes, it does. Your kid yeah. is with you on a business trip and you don't want to be there. <laughs> and now her mom's getting, in, no, not her mom, but your other ex is getting involved <laughs> and it's, oh. It's like this is the worst weekend, uh, and that's and Richard Schiff is there. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> but to answer your question, no, this that's absolutely more does not belong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to answer your question, no, it does not belong on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made. It is a very, very flawed movie for reasons that we have discussed already. It's a very messy movie, and the reasons why I like it are probably exactly why it doesn't belong on any objective or kind of like you know, best list ever. And then, Alex, would it be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favourite movies? Uh, no, again, that's a pretty solid no. Um, <laughs> I, I keep meaning to, like, try and come, I, I join Letterbox and actually start putting together, What do I even like 250 films? But I don't, I think, I think that, yeah, this is pretty definitely not. I think, like I said, for we've already talked about, I will always have a certain degree of affection for this film. Like the way that, like, you know, when you get good news and there's a song playing on the radio, you're always maybe going to have an affection for that song. Um, similarly, this was a film that arrived at a time where I thought it would be really cool to like have just a revolver you can take out and have a bullwhip and wear a cowboy hat and like, you know, look for mummies. So I'm always going to have a bit of affection <laughs> for it. But yeah, it's 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 not a it's not a good film. And I think to Andrew's point there as well, like, not only is it a, a racist film, it's also just not a good film. It's not even like a good, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't stand up on its merits, really. Um, although there's a lot of things to enjoy and talk about in it, it's 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 the weakest of the three. So 
I would probably put the the third one maybe on my my list or even Raiders because they're yeah up there. But this one is a no, I'm afraid. Um, and Tony, what about yourself? I would venture the same. I haven't, like Alex, I haven't yet put my 250 together. Um, I, I I need to do the same. It wouldn't be. I don't know if it would be very far off in a way. I don't know. It, I wouldn't make it, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's massively away from that list because I do like this film. I do have affection for it, but yeah, it's not. But and and then much as I do like Crystal Skull a bit more, that's not going on the list either. <laughs> so I can't. I can't. Spoilers for two. Yeah, weeks yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry about that. But I can't. I can't put that on. So yeah, no, it wouldn't be. I'm afraid. And and Andrew, make it three for three. <laughs> is this where yeah, he surprises no, us was... now? Is this the twist? <laughs> yeah, like, this is why like, we always ask movie. this redundant question. No, it's not always redundant. Yeah. There are sometimes uh, interesting answers to it, and we're not covering it for the bottom one hundred, so I can't cheat and put it no, on. We're not. Um, so on bad um, movie island. <laughs> on bad movie island. So no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it on. Um, on on my own no it, it it's um yeah it's it's it, it's 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 not good um i i i get it like it was fun um and i guess be be being kind of re- realizing kind of that cultural sensitivity is a thing kind of spoils this movie a bit um, but, um uh, but no, I, I wasn't particularly interested in the story. I wasn't interested in the romance. Um, and, and no, it wouldn't be on my own um, uh, 250, unfortunately. And to provide a nice bookend to your comment, this is why we have this question. This absolutely would be on my own personal 250. This is probably my favorite of the Indiana Jones movies. I'm only kidding. Uh-huh. Great question. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, it, and I, I fully admit all those flaws exist. All those flaws are entirely valid. But yes, this is... It's such a weird movie. It's a movie that I cannot believe exists. It's a movie that I cannot believe everybody said yes to make it happen. It's a movie where its legacy is fascinating because Spielberg has tried to distance himself from it as much as possible. And as I get older, I kind of admire George Lucas's like willingness to just sit there and say, I made what I made uh, when it comes to like Temple of Doom. Kind of like, as I get older, I admire that sheer not giving a hell kind of like, no, it, it's a dark and angry divorce movie. I was in a dark and angry place getting a divorce. I'm not going to pretend that, that it's anything but that. Whereas Spielberg's like, no, 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 it, I, I should have pushed back against it more. It doesn't reflect my opinions or tastes or anything that I feel as a filmmaker or a human being. It's just a <laughs> hollow shell. It's, it's difficult to come away from this movie with the conclusion that anybody who had anything to do with it didn't kind of, at least at the time, um, hate women. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of like, like so you, you don't hate women, but you made this movie. <laughs> and it's I mean, like, yeah, but I had hardly had to do with it. His defense is probably like, I literally married her in real life. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ruining he felt he had career. to. Yeah. After he had to. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, here here's the Spielberg quote on Ra- on sorry on Temple I'm sorry. of Doom. No, no. Here here's the here's the Spielberg quote. I wasn't really okay with that. I kind of resisted it. But George was tenacious that he wanted the second one to be dark, and I feared it wouldn't be commercial enough. And it wasn't as commercial as the first one or the third one. 
but it was an important thing that he wanted to do. And I certainly deferred to George's better judgment Oof. because he had seen this three movie arc and this is what he wanted to do. And I was his director for hire. And also as well, like continuing this, like this interview in 1989 doing press for uh, The Last Crusade. I wasn't happy with the second film at all, Spielberg says. It was too dark, too subterranean and too horrific. I thought it outpoltered poltergeist. There's not an ounce of my own personal feeling in Temple of Doom. And then, like, there's this review, and we'll come back to it when we talk about King of the Crystal Skull, where he, like, he's asked about the reaction to King of the Crystal Skull. He's like, well, you'll have to ask George Lucas. George is in charge of breaking the stories. He's done it on all four movies, whether I like the stories or not. George has broken all the stories. He's working on Indy 5. We haven't gone to screenplay yet, but he's working on the story. I'll leave it to George to come up with a good story. The, um... Yeah, that bus yeah. <laughs> just keeps coming around. Um, <laughs> I mean, we we would believe that the creator of Jar Jar Binks and Watto and everything was responsible yes. for a lot of what went into yes. this film. So yeah, yes. I, I oh think, yeah, I think we it, have some quotes would... from Lucas on that as well. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> the problem with um, the problem is, the, the, I think Lucas should have gotten Irvin Kershner to to make this. I, th- I think or David think Lynch would have yeah well but <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been the third one that was when Spielberg was like I don't want to come back for the third one and Lucas has to lure him back by literally bringing on James Bond I think the, <laughs> well like there's different ways it could have went I think um, either it would be like um, uh, Empire and uh, people would love it and say like this is the best um, Indiana Jones movie or it would be like Robocop 2 and they're saying like, no, it's just gone too dark. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's not fun anymore. Um, they, they they put a kid in it, but it's terrible. <laughs> you know? Um, so that's the obligatory Robocop reference. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. You didn't have to work too hard on that one. No. And then... Final final question then before I we did have to lay some groundwork. You, you did have to like lay some <laughs> lay some minecart track for that one. Um, and then Alex, uh, if listeners have not seen Temple of Doom, if they have not watched it, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it? No, I, I, I wouldn't. I think the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, is a great product of a sort of combination of the the big blockbuster style that Lucas and Spielberg defined, um, but taking a sort of like lighthearted serial style 1930s adventure and i think the last crusade is a really good continuation of that and makes it richer and brings in all sorts of better spielbergian themes um i think you should watch those two films there and if you have kids around that age they they're great fun you know they're they're a lot of fun um and then i think inevitably you'll turn to crystal skull and this one and (laughs) you know it's if you're a kid uh, like i said i had no uh, concept that these films were different almost in terms of quality as a child because you just consume them and think wow and 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 you know that was it you you weren't wondering why you were scared or like you know indiana jones is going to rescue that man isn't he before he's you know burned in a pit whereas yeah now watching them again as an adult yeah I think there are two obviously better Indiana Jones films you should go and watch. Um, and, you know, leave this one as a, a curio that if you want to enjoy them, you know, like the, the the comments Kate Capshaw said, if you're buying the box set, great. There's two fantastic films in there <laughs> and two other films to, you know, watch and, and experience. Um, and Tony, what about yourself? Yes, I would suggest people go and watch it, to be honest. Um, 
I I do I do enjoy it. I do think it's I do think it's a good film, uh, and I think it's part of the not just the lexicon of indie and the you know that this franchise, but also the the nineteen eighties, you know, and the sweep of of blockbuster cinema, of adventure cinema, of that era as well. And it has definitely definitely has flaws, but I do think there's some really good stuff in there. There's some really well. There's, there's, some, there's some great shots. There's some really well uh, paced sequences. There's some great action moments. There's some. There's a fantastic score by John Williams. Maybe maybe he's one of his best scores ever. There's just lots to enjoy. So yeah, I would I would recommend it. Yeah. I think Spielberg, like to give credit to Spielberg's direction, we talked last week about how like painterly Raiders is, how carefully, how immaculately constructed it is. I think like Temple of Doom is looser and funner, but Spielberg is having a surprising amount of fun, even if that fun is sometimes sadistic. Like there are <laughs> wonder no, but they're, they're, like there are wonderful shots. Like yeah. Raiders is notable for its composition and its editing and these kind of silhouettes and this use of like striking framing and images. Uh, whereas Temple of Doom is a much more dynamic kind of movie. It's a much more it's a movie where the camera moves and you have these kind of like juxtapositions within the camera moving which is kind of like it's a wonderfully playful artful kind of movie and i i really admire that about it like i think it looks gorgeous i think it's like it's lit in these beautiful like dark reds you have these moments where like characters literally emerge from paintings or murals and stuff like that you have like again all this stuff go i think i think it's a, a very very well made film um, in, in that sense, um, despite all of its other problems going on underneath <laughs> it, which are fair. Uh, in terms of recommendations, probably, yes. I mean, it's a movie that if you have kids, you should probably have a conversation both before and afterwards with them about if you're going to show <laughs> them. You probably shouldn't just stick it on and leave them alone in a room with it. But I, I do also think, as we talked about last week with Raiders, kids like to be scared. Um and I think that Temple of Doom is the scariest of the Indiana Jones movies because it taps into, like, you know, if you're a kid, you know you're unlikely to have your face melted by the Ark of the Covenant. But if you're a kid, at least for me, you are consciously cognizant that the family unit that you're part of may fall apart at, you know, any given moment. And that will trouble you fundamentally in your soul. So it's fun to play that out with voodoo dolls and, like, whips and... <laughs> Uh, you know, people getting crushed by giants. You're afraid of going on holidays and getting diarrhea as well. I think that's, that, that's what Raiders <laughs> really taps into fundamentally. They're going to Tunisia and getting dysentery. Uh, temple. Um. Oh, t- Temple also. T- yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that, unfortunately. All right, with that in mind, then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. <laughs> so, 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 Alex, what is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom about for you? Um, this is an interesting one because it was only when I was watching it the other night I had a horrific flashback to um, my very brief dalliance with you know studying film at, at third level and being at a after a class and and hearing going joining a group a conversation and kind of whispering to someone like what are, what are they talking about. And someone said <laughs> indie films, to which I was like, oh, boy. you know, and then they actually were talking about the Indiana Jones films. And, but there, there was this guy, this jerk holding court um, and like one of the inevitable jerks you 
run into in film school. But he had this theory about how Spielberg had, and he was only talking about Spielberg, constructed the three Indiana Jones films to reflect the, the three major religions. Like Hindu oh. is oh. Temple of Doom. The first one was Judaism with the Ark of the Covenant. And then the third one being Christianity and, and the, the um, uh, you know, the, the Last Supper and the... the, 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 the um, What's the, the fourth one? And that was, well, at the time, the fourth one hadn't come out yet. Oh, so I'd crucially, love to see his theory on yeah, that. <laughs> Scientology Mayan, or something. You know, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah um, It is that, yeah, Scientology. Scientology. Yeah. But okay. I remember yeah. even then, you know, I was a teenager at the time, but even then was kind of like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like, remembering <laughs> Temple of Doom is is not remotely religious. You know, it's it's yeah. like, you know, it might have some of the, like, references to some of the, the Hindu goddess Kali and things, but... I don't think that was remotely accurate. <laughs> and thinking, realizing, like, people will just apply these theories to films because it seems neat and it seems like there's yeah. a plan there and a construction. Whereas to, to what Darren's already talked about, this film is, yeah, it's about anger and divorce and, you know, the, the angry divorce dad energy. And I think that is probably the best thing it represents. And it probably doesn't do so consciously, which makes it even more interesting yeah. um, for all the reasons you already talked about. So yeah. I, it's kind of like like the room, the Tommy Wiseau room, yes. where it's like you you understand how Tommy Wiseau sees the world, even if Tommy Wiseau doesn't understand it, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> it's, a, we, it's a good thing you weren't here last week when I was kind of like expanding on my theories about raiders, <laughs> about, about, about like links to mysticism. On, on, on things so yeah well the author is dead um the author is dead but apparently got divorced beforehand well no okay like we should we should acknowledge this stuff up front actually it is a horrifically horrifically racist movie through and through and again it exists in a wider context of like cultural racism for the time towards... as well <laughs> no 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 yeah no yeah. no no like, like it's not as if like to let them shoot it in india because it was offensive and insulting yeah the indian government took a look at it's the maharaji was the, like that was the term that apparently they're like nope not getting anywhere near here um and like alex points out the like presentation of shiva and kali and like the warping of of hinduism and stuff like that like even like particulars like the weird dinner scene where like people argue that like an entire generation of american kids grew up thinking that like indians liked eating monkey brains as a result of this but like again it's imagine being imagine being roshan seth you know you've come off yeah. returning to acting in gandhi and everyone's talking about like a new era of, you know, sort of uh, Indian, Indian representation, Indian representation film. in film. And then you sign up for a Spielberg film because you're playing the prime minister. And then he's like, now really act like you like the monkey brains you're eating, please. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, because he, he had retired and then came back. And again, like it's, it's that weird thing where Spielberg is fixated on Gandhi because Gandhi beat him to the best director Oscar. Uh, that Spielberg the makes best. really bad movies. Can we say that? <laughs> like, like, he also makes like, incredible movies. Yeah, but, that's, like, that's true. 1941 and stuff like that. And like, arguably, even Hook are always. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, he's not, um, you know, he's not a snob. <laughs> He'll, uh, he just he'll happily working. make a terrible movie. The the um like I I I haven't seen Ready Player One, but I <laughs> I don't imagine I'm I'm ever going to. 
Like, I, I think like... Ready Player One is as good a version of that movie as exists. Uh, it's perhaps Darren's most muted uh, comment and, on Andrew, that. you don't think that that film's ever going to pop up on the 250 list? <laughs> we were worried. <laughs> you were worried. We were, yeah. we, no, we, we were watching. Like, it, it very nearly, it had like a near miss. And I remember texting like, with Andrew and Andrew, no. Andrew, Andrew, Andrew texting back and saying, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to watch this. Um, <laughs> Which is great, like, because that will happen. Every once in a while, I'll be like, Andrew, you'll never guess what looks like it's going to make the 250. And his response is, please, God, no. Um, but, like, yeah, no. God it, sometimes it, answers my prayer. God does. The, 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 the Hindu God and the Muslim God and the Christian God. There's a whole um, shore of, like, hundreds of thousands of gods. And one of yeah, them, like, is yeah, like, the, what? Which movie? The one that- Balaram is kind of yeah, working yeah. his way through, but yeah, no, no, absolutely and unequivocally, and it like again not to excuse it, it like it exists, it exists in this weird context in the eighties where like they were like, okay, racism, bad, we got to <laughs> we figured out that like racism against like African Americans and black people is like you know not good, and we should like oh. rectify <laughs> that, and we should we should engage with it in like the most superficial manner possible. Team, there, there's there's a deleted scene from Team America: World Police. Where he's like, I let I let racism cloud my judgment, and all the time, all the time it was an Asian, and then he's really erase becomes really racist about Asians. It's like I'll never be racist again. (laughs) (laughs) But like, but like you like you have this, and again, it is something that has existed almost like invisibly in culture, where like because you know people talk about like African Americans because of the history that exists in America. At least there's an awareness or engagement there and you know you can argue about how effective that engagement is but at least it exists whereas like this was around the time you had fisher stevens popping up in short circuit in brownface i mean for example. this film does it like, too and i think this film's oh, yeah. worse because yeah, yeah. The, the pat roach plays the the guy the big giant the big, guy the he played, guy, a, yeah. played a nazi in the last one and now he's playing yeah but then you've also cast Indian actors, you know, so it's sort of like, yeah. oh, no, we're painting that guy and we're not painting those. Like how that's almost like, you know, it, it's yeah. a completely different assessment or something. Yeah, yeah no. And, and like, again, and like a poo on The Simpsons, which is something that we're only talking about. It seems like we only started talking about three years ago. It's like, yeah, maybe a poo, not the best representation of Indian in pop culture. Yeah, it's it's funny because like a lot of the, some of the sort of response to that of kind of like, no, a poo is fine, is from people who weren't called a poo. Yeah. Like yes. all the time growing yeah. up. Yeah. You know. Where... You didn't hear the thank you come again yeah. kind of like yeah, mocking yeah, derisive exactly. accents or stuff. No, like, and then that, that's the thing is like, yeah, it it's absolutely is. And I do wonder, like part of me also wonders if with Temple of Doom, and this is not to excuse it or make excuses, it is terribly, horrifically racist. Um, is there a sense of it almost being kind of the sin eater for the larger Indiana Jones franchise, where you can point and say, this is the one that has the problems with it? Because, like, Raiders the of the Lost Ark also... like that too, yeah. Yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark also has brown face and yellow face in it, in that, like, Salah is played literally That's by true. a Welshman who inadvertently became a spokesman for the BNP. You have things like, you have, like, there's a an actor who is, like, made up in yellow face in the Nepal sequence, and it's very obvious in high definition, for example, as well, you have things like the kind of like the, the, the treating of kind of and again, it is much more respectful of Judaism, arguably because Judaism is more mainstream and understandably because Spielberg, even though he was not practicing at the time, still comes with that background. It is still much more respectful of things like Judaism, but it still portrays these indigenous populations as 
kind of primitive and backwards and the whole cultural imperialism that we kind of discussed where it's like it belongs in a museum an american museum <laughs> where we can keep it safe from the people who it actually belongs to but the, the, um, the, this this is the it's we spoke about it last week about the lesson he he learned in this movie he has yes. unlearned in this in... this is this is the really ironic thing about temple of doom which again and i'm worried that it sounds like i'm defending it i am not it is unapologetically racist and undoubtedly racist and all those criticisms of it are valid but at least at the end of this one indy realizes maybe i shouldn't take this priceless artifact maybe it away to the community <laughs> it maybe belongs to the indigenous population as yeah, opposed it's to, a like, very people... woke movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's clearly what we're arguing. But I, I find it fascinating that, like, it's like, this is the one movie of the three that gets it, where it's like, maybe Indy shouldn't take this away from its original home. Because even, like, in Raiders, he's trying to steal the gold head, he's selling the artifacts to Marcus, he wants to take the Ark of the Covenant away from its original found place, and presumably away from Israel as well. Israel doesn't exist, but you know what I mean. But that, that sort of stuff. Yeah, like you have... I mean, it makes... It, it, uh, unfortunately, like, the 21st century has not been kind to antiquity. Like, the... the um, some of the oldest cities in the world have been, like, um, destroyed in the Syrian uh, civil war. Before that, there, were, there, were, there was um, the... Um, uh, uh, Taliban's destruction of... of um, oh, yeah, they built uh, those statues. Uh, Buddhist and temples like that, yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, I'm not suggesting that all of these things should have been packed up and put in the British Museum, but they 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 no longer belong to these communities. It is good in some ways that we have like a a a link um, to our history that's kind of a, a accessible to all and can't be destroyed by. Um, but at the um, same time, you still then should be able to return those to like the former colonies that are stable politically and stuff like that, this, and are in a position to reclaim. This is and it's a weird back. movie though because the the the, the colonial the, the the Brits come along yes, at the and end save and the shoot day. all of the savages. I was going to yeah. say literally yeah. using yeah. guns with bullets, probably greased by pork fat, uh, to shoot <laughs> the guys with bows and arrows at the end. Of the... Oh my god, guys! Yeah, thank goodness <laughs> the British were here to save the day. Um. And, well, because it's, it's it's a very Ruyard kind of Kipling thing, and like again, this is the thing where I worry people are going to misconstrue me as defending this, so I should probably stop talking. But things like the 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 weird bit where you have the abuse of children, um, as a recurring motif running through it, and you have that line from the Prime Minister where he's like, "Oh, the British do worry so much about their empire, checking up on us like we're impudent children," and and it's it's like it's it is a it's like okay the, the movie's metaphor is like oh well children can be abused as well and it's like wait is that a comment on the like colonial rule of india no but no it's no also... not at all they're no, not no, thinking yeah, about no. that to be clear yeah, no. we will show you now by executing a bunch of people by with brits in red coats a thin red line of just shooting natives with bows and arrows yeah. like yeah no, like it's very much like the the Rear Kipling thing, where the worst thing about Rear Kipling is that sometimes people abuse kids. But other than that, it's fine. This kind of white man's burden. It's it's yeah. But it's not going good. back to your point about like Indiana Jones, I think that there is an interesting idea that instead of immediately jumping to a sequel, you make a prequel and you try and explain a bit more about a character you find fascinating. And the there is attempts at doing that where and, and what you're talking about like in harrison ford's extremely gruff for even for harrison ford performance all the way through 
But there is an interesting bit I never really appreciated before, especially as a child, was when he, he steals the stone, he stops because he hears the screaming of children and he decides yes. to like go and check that out rather than just like, I've got it now, back to the museum. You know, there is this kind of like, oh, maybe I'm part of a wider, you know, thing going on. Maybe I can do something that isn't just plundering and, and they keep repeating fortune and glory, fortune and glory. Mm. Uh, it just they do that all so badly and so and the film feels so rushed in parts that I, none of those moments have time to land and i think especially thinking about it in terms of like oh this maybe explains why he's slightly different in the next few films and things like that i don't think any of that really connects no. up the dots you know well i mean like again the idea that like the, the end of temple of doom is him returning it to the like the native population which is a lesson he does not apply no. in any other future Indiana i mean it would Jones almost stuff. work with the film opening again in a nightclub where he's like you know give me those diamonds and i'll give you this thing i stole and you're kind of like at what point aren't you also a professor like did you put this on your tenure application like <laughs> that's that's the george like again this is this is the thing with temple of doom that we should probably talk about in terms of george lucas's vision a lot of temple of doom arrived from ideas that like lucas had had during the pitching of raiders of the lost ark that spielberg had said uh not in this script george so <laughs> think things like um he had originally envisaged like indiana jones as like kind of rick from casablanca kind of like in a nightclub club in a tuxedo and so that's why temple of doom opens with indy in a nightclub in a tuxedo in club obi-wan because of course it is um but and then you have things like the idea of like indy falling asleep on a plane and the pilots have jumped out is another kind of lucas idea that he had that you know didn't make it into raiders but kind of made it into this but to, to bring it back to the kind of like the characterization of jones like i actually quite like that arc of like indie realizing like and again it's the one part of the film that arguably kind of carries forward into the future films where like it seems like after this indie isn't as motivated by like greed here it just seems like yeah give me a diamond for the mummy i like diamonds you can spend diamonds you can cash diamonds pretty easily and then at the end he goes oh you know what maybe these things have values beyond diamonds but as you point out it's like yeah, but you, you don't learn the actual important lesson, which is maybe these things have value to the people to whom they belong. I feel um, like at the end of the movie as well, that like um, short round um, and um, sorry, she Willie? is Willie. Um, Willie. Willie, that they're like, OK, uh, Indy, where are we going next? And it's like, well, I don't know where you're going next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going over there. Yeah. Well, yeah. OK. Um, it's it's kind of like what was this all for? Because you know, in the next movie, <laughs> she's not there. Um, yeah. but that's that's obviously a very Bondian idea, isn't it? That he has a different yeah. leading lady in every film. And although I think Spielberg wanted to bring Marion back for this originally, but I've, I've, I'm Karen sure Karen Allen wasn't available. I think was I think that might be why. Yeah. Um, and and obviously then I've just always it's always weirdly felt like the most non-prequel prequel this film because it yes. doesn't give you any sort of indication if if you hadn't when you went to that cinema if you didn't clock the year and then remember the year that raiders was set you'd have no idea yeah, this exactly. was a prequel you would just it's only one year previous yeah, yeah it's one year previous there's no other indication that this is in any way set before there's no marker for it it is so strange that they actually did that in the first place on that level what you guys are talking about with you know the lesson he might learn Yes, okay, I get that. But that's so 
you've got to really analyze yeah. it. You've got to really think it through. <laughs> Audiences weren't going to do that. And a lot haven't to this day. I think a lot of people would go, it's a what? It's set before? Yeah. It's the second one. It's, it's the, the one, one after, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it's very strange. I've never known a film quite like that before in that sense. Well, I mean, that it's worth noting that like at this stage, prequels were so not a thing that like journalists covering it did not know what to call it. Like Vincent Canby in the New York Times described it as a pre-sequel. Which may explain where the term prequel, because there was no no frame of reference or no kind of context for understanding this new. It was right there. Yes, it was right there. Damn it, Vincent. Do we know why? Like, was it just because they couldn't get um, Karen Allen, and he was like, "Well, you know, obviously he's the she's the love of his life, so we'll set this beforehand." Like, why do this then? The argument from Lucas was, "We made Temple of Doom a prequel because we didn't want to use the same bad guys." So oh, the we Nazis. had ideas. Right. The Nazis. Right. We had ideas about the Monkey King. We had ideas for a haunted castle movie. But Steve had just done Poltergeist and said, "I don't want to do that again." We were struggling to come up with another MacGuffin, so we couldn't come up with anything as good as the Lost Ark. So we ended up on the Sankara Stones, which is a little obscure. So apparently, it does seem like it was just uh, ah, just kind of try something new. I kind of like I. And again, this is the thing where I worry, like, this podcast is going to be Darren trying and failing to defend the movie to three other people. <laughs> but I, I do, like, I like it's the... It's good kind of racism, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, Sorry. That's, that is, thank you for that, Andrew. It's the fun yeah. one. Yeah. You know. yeah. yeah. I'm not defending this movie, but... What I... <laughs> Everything before the but doesn't matter. What I will say, though, like, I think... It plays into that. And again, this is the thing with the Star Wars thing, with the idea of the serials that Lucas was getting at, where, and I think Lucas, I think Star Wars suffers because Lucas couldn't help himself and like then went back and tried to fill in all the gaps. I think the Indiana Jones movies kind of work because they actually play like you recovered, like, say, nine of like 56 Indiana Jones serials. And it's like, Oh yeah, these fit together in this weird way. You're just missing this movie that fits between Temple and Raiders. Or you're missing like the first half of the, the movie that we made into a video game, Indiana Jones and the Tomb of the Emperor, that explains everything at the start of Temple of Doom. And it's like, I kind of like that aspect of it, where it's like, we caught the tail end of one movie and like the next reels after that. And I think that actually kind of works because it's not Andrew's right, it's not a movie. It's not a it's not like a, a self-contained narrative that is two hours long, but it feels like it fits with what Lucas was trying to do with Star Wars, but then kind of got too obsessed with making Star Wars his grand work of art, if that makes sense. And it's like, no, I have to fill in all the gaps. Mm. No, yeah, yeah, that's probably kind of valid enough. I, I feel like they, they it could have benefited from having a um a credit sequence just after the the um the, the yeah. raft comes Plane down takes off. The, the yeah yeah don't immediately <laughs> kind of introduce uh, uh kind of more stuff um yeah but, <laughs> there's a um, a sad consequence of that was when you know short rounds on an elephant and he's like telling the little elephant do you want to come back home with america when indy takes me home and i was like oh boy does, does indy ever actually yeah. do that or is it just leave <laughs> that village okay here here we get to like darren's big like grand philosophical statement about temple of doom what Temple of Doom is about and why it works as a you prequel a to the other Indiana Jones. Child. <laughs> I was a short, I was a short comma, round child, so I could empathize with this. Right, let, let's talk about what, what let's talk about what Temple of Doom is about. Temple of Doom is about a guy goes to a nightclub. 
He has something to drink that doesn't agree with him. He gets a little bit hazy. He ends up on a dance floor. He meets a beautiful woman. They have some fun on the dance floor together. They end up in the backseat of a car. They're getting kind of physical. Next thing you know, they're on a one-way flight with a kid who they've adopted, and they're stuck together. It turns out they don't actually like each other. They don't have any chemistry. They don't get along. They invite the neighbors over for dinner, and it's just an embarrassment. He feels humiliated because she won't do anything to kind of fit in or ingratiate herself. She feels like he's not treating her in the way that they need to be treated. They try to reignite the spark in the bedroom after that embarrassing dinner, and it just doesn't go, doesn't work at all. And so you have this idea that, you know, it is this gigantic metaphor for a relationship that doesn't work. And it's built on the idea that, yeah, we know Willie is not back in the next film. So we know that the relationship doesn't last. We also know short rounds not last round. So you have this thing where Indy basically becomes a divorced dad retroactively over the Indiana Jones franchise until you get to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where he has to reconcile himself to that, where he has to say, oh, by the way, that family that I rat out on <laughs> and abandoned in order to have cool adventures across the world. Maybe I should kind of own up and like accept that I'm a father and, you know, I, I am a husband or a partner to this woman as well. Except, of course, it ends up being Marion and Mott. I wonder, like, part of me wonders, like, would would Kingdom Skull be a better movie if it were short round? Like, if it were short round, because A, it wouldn't be Shia LaBeouf, obviously. Yeah. But I wonder, like... I just, I worry that, like, you know, Shia LaBeouf you know, he sort of plays the Marlon Brando greaser, like tough kid type. I would say that like short rounds life. Oof. I, I'd say he's like a tough kid. Like at the start, when, when Indiana Jones and Willie fall into the car, she's screaming and short round turns around and says, we've no time for love tonight. Dr. Jones implying this might happen all the time that they're just <laughs> cruising around. He's just picking up women and short yeah. rounds driving them around. There's another hold, point later on where after... Hold like, on to your spuds. Yeah, after, after he's seduced, uh, he's in the middle of seducing Willie. And like, by the way, the kid's just like asleep on a couch as well. Doesn't get his own bed. And he wakes up and he tells Indiana Jones, oh, you tell me later how it all goes. Like, <laughs> It's really weird, isn't it? It's really um, weird. Incidentally, by the way, that sequence where they're playing cards in the jungle and short round is cheating was his audition scene with Harrison Ford. That's good. I read actually uh, an interview with the two screenwriters who said that when they showed Harrison Ford the script, (laughs) they'd given all these like great one-liners to the little kid and Harrison Ford's like, a child wouldn't say that. I'm saying that. A child wouldn't (laughs) say that. Took took every single good line. (laughs) The whole language... The idea I get with short round is that India's overshared. Like he's he's yeah. he, he, like he's discussed a whole lot of like adult things that a child isn't yeah. meant to be know. kind of exposed yeah. to. But he's not he's not um, presented as a child in a way, is he? He's he's like the whole no. idea is that he's almost like a mate, the sidekick. Yeah, a sidekick yeah. He and a friend. And it's so many people. It, 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 yeah. It's odd. It's an odd. But he. It's an odd choice. But he gets. He, he gets like a child nemesis as well, which which is that like. I, and again, we talk about like the playfulness of Spielberg's camera. That like sequence where you have like the voodoo doll and the like the stabbing of the voodoo doll, which reflects the action that's happening with Indy. So you have the camera move from the doll to Indy reacting. But then you have like the weird reverse of that, where you have like Indy punching the the like head guard on the conveyor belt and the camera moves slightly to the left and up on the top corner over his shoulder yeah. short round is beating the crap out of the Matarashi which I, again I, 
I kind of like love in terms of like, yep, yeah, this this feels like the kind of kid that Indy would raise. Yeah. Not in a good way. No. Not like in like a <laughs> learning the right lessons kind like of way. Like immediately yeah. after that sequence, Indiana Jones looks over and says, stop messing around with that kid. Like they were stabbing each other. You know, they, they were in a battle for their lives. Yeah. And he's like, stop yeah. playing dolls with that child. <laughs> yeah. But like, stabbing uh, him and set him on fire. <laughs> yeah, haven't you learned anything? <laughs> but like, but like I, and I, again, that thing that you kind of get with with Alex kind of alluding to the arc, where like, if this is a divorce movie, and I think it absolutely and unequivocally is a divorce movie, um, you have this idea of like this fixation on children being placed in danger, and I think there's another reason for that, which we'll probably talk about in a second, with regards to Spielberg. Um, but like, again, this idea that like, and you have like. Before Spielberg fit, uh, split from Kathleen Carey, um, his a girlfriend of three years, but a few months before he started shooting Temple of Doom, he said he told People magazine, I think Kathleen and I will have kids. Um, when he was interviewed by 60 Minutes in 1999, talking about like the divorce with the Lucases, he said, George and Marsha, for me, were the reason that you got married. And when it didn't work out and that marriage didn't work, I lost my faith in marriage for a long time. Um, but you have this idea that, you know, what happens in a divorce is the kids get stuck and trapped and the kids get taken away from home and the kids get kind of weaponized and kind of caught in the middle. And I think there's something very important in the idea of, yeah, Indy, like that Indy's big hero moment here is when after Short Round has kind of like flamed him and he's come back to himself and Willie says, we're getting out of here. And the camera like zooms in on him and he says, yes, all of us. And he decides to go back and to save and liberate the kids. Um, like, I don't know. I, I, I kind of react to that. I think that's yeah, like I, arguably, arguably Temple of Doom is the most heroic thing that Indy does in yeah. all of the movies. Because like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he, he doesn't really save. He just causes more people to die. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like he doesn't play any big part in the climax of it. But in Temple of Doom, he says, actually, yeah, instead of hightailing out of here, instead of saving my own skin... I'm going to make a point to save these children who are being um, exploited and hurt. And also feed some crocodiles. <laughs> yeah, very, the humanitarian. He's a good guy. The, the, um, I think it's especially heroic considering kind of the, the kids I found kind of annoying. They're all sort of posh and um, uh, they like they eat like all of them. They they because um, some of the kids were not, not professional sorry, actors. See, I feel sorry for them. Obviously, and I want them saved. I didn't. I didn't like identify with, didn't especially <laughs> like the kids. Wow. <laughs> that 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 scene though does have. One of I think one of Spielberg's greatest shots. It's the hero shot of Indy, yeah. Yeah. where it pushes, where it pushes in on him, in. and he's in shadow. And then you 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 hear the it's when he whips away that yeah, and the guard just slides. It's so good. That's such a great yeah. moment. It's very good. Yeah. Really well shot. Um, and that's like that's the big hero moment of Temple of Doom, and that's mm. probably the most heroic thing that Indiana Jones ever does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you kind of put that in context, but no, I like I think that's that's interesting. But yeah. I think there's also possibly something else that overshadows this as well. And actually, we we talked about we talked about like um, the the movies that he made uh, in the '90s, so things like Jurassic Park. Before Spielberg made Temple of Doom, um, he did a couple of other movies. So he did Raiders, which arguably rehabilitated his career after 1941. He did E.T., which made all of the money in the world and basically made him untouchable. And I think that the looseness that you see in Temple of Doom is arguably a result of like him being like, yep, I am untouchable as a director. 
so I can finally do like my like a lot of the sequences in Temple are arguably repurposed from 1941. Things like say the barroom brawl for example is like one of the best sequences in there the musical number is the kind of thing he joked about wanting to turn 1941 into a musical so the title sequence of temple of doom inexplicably becomes singing in the rain for about 30 seconds um but also he had produced uh the twilight zone the the movie the twilight zone with himself and his friend john landis and there had as we mentioned been a horrible tragedy on that set where vic morrow and two children uh were killed while landis was shooting and we need to be very clear on this. Spielberg was not on set at the time that it happened. Spielberg swore under penalty of perjury that he had never been to the set in question. He was never directly subpoenaed. He was never questioned. He was never called before the grand jury investigation. Uh, but he was questioned about it in the press. In fact, when he was filming Temple of Doom, he gave an interview to the Los Angeles Times about the accident that happened and the, the death of the two children involved as well. He was involved in the cash settlements. He was specifically named in the cash settlements as well. And apparently he was personally affected by it. I think the quote that he gives in that Los Angeles Times thing is, it made me grow up. Um, and I do wonder if the focus on children in Temple of Doom and the idea of saving children and protecting children if it's hard, if that exists in the shadow of it, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's too much. But I do, when I watch it, I can't help but think of that. Well, for more of my comments on, on Steven Spielberg and deadly child labor, I would direct you to the Jurassic Park episode where I uh, <laughs> yeah. talked about it. But yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I find those comments, I find like, oh yeah, it made me grow up a little bit more. Like two children died, man. Like yeah. it's, it's not, it's, it's, and that that would be your press statement, I think also shows yeah it's just it, it, i think that's something that really does tend to get well, pushed over in, in this well his press there. statement was i have i was not on the set of the night in question i have never been to the set and i swear this under penalty of perjury yeah that was his press well statement. As, again as a lawyer that 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 reeks of like i am doing something yeah. extremely careful so i am not you know, that's liability um but yeah. yeah i just think you know to to, to characterize it as like yeah, who knew? Like, we should have been a bit more safe about, like, you know, child labor children. and children. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and helicopters you know, and explosions and, yeah. It's uh, interesting because I think we talked about it in the context of Jurassic Park and, and the children in peril for some millionaire's folly in, in Jurassic Park. But here, like everything in this film, it's it's very obvious and it's very over the top. And going back to, like, what we were talking about in the film, it nearly feels like it's trying to make a point about Indiana Jones and that hero shot you were talking about, Tony, which is great and all, but like becoming Indiana Jones and becoming this hero. But it doesn't really connect the dots on anything because like in the next film, he's getting Hitler's autograph and he's chasing a <laughs> particular <laughs> treasure. And it's not like he's, you know, trying to save the world Changed or anything. It. Yeah, it's... it's yeah. <laughs> he is a static character. Yeah, it's a very, very odd kind of, arc or very element to have there um and, and stuff, I d- um sorry. oh sorry no, I, no, no. I, I um i was going to say um that stuff with willie is really um i found it like egregious that it just kind of like that it's in it she is the love interest of the movie all we kind of get from her is oh i broke my nail and she's like money it's it's nearly the hate interest yeah she's so So much hatred and like the the like we're ostensibly like interested in kind of like um indiana jones and her sleeping together 
Why? She even, she even gets in the way of the title card. You can't read it properly. Yeah, she she's stands like... in, yeah, she's, she's dancing in front of it. Um, and she's like saying, oh, I need a comb. Uh, this elephant stinks. I don't like the food. Um, kind of, it, it's, it's somebody who's, who's really kind of, um, there, there's so much kind of hatred in it. I am found, found like really uncomfortable watching it. It's like every niggling thing that somebody has ever been bothered by in a relationship just kind of like put on screen as like that is what the person is. What's the She's line? The just... biggest trouble with her is the noise. He says at one point. Yeah, it's so yeah. hateful. I, I even like, the end, over like it. the romantic kiss, is sort of like she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. I hate you, and don't want to spend any more time with you. And he, like, she just like whips her, and then like kisses her. It's yeah, kind of like oof. God. And then, then gets sprayed by an elephant as well. Isn't it that they're they're trying to capture this kind of screwball comedy kind yeah. of thing going on, and it doesn't really work because she's too annoying. You know, she doesn't have the 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 comedy sort of class of. You know those those classics of Catherine Hepburn types or whatever from the old days, or you know, and it's it. She doesn't. She and it's not not, not necessarily Kate Jean Harlow. Isn't the, that the one they were going? That's for. probably I'm going. going for, Harlow, yeah, yeah, that's who I mean, Jean Harlow. That's, that's probably it's not really Kate Capshaw that's the problem. I don't think. I wouldn't blame her. I think it's the script. I think I think the fact mm, that she is just poorly serviced. Yeah, mm. it is. It is, and it doesn't really work. It doesn't work nearly as well as it did in Empire Strikes Back with Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, for instance, which was a you know a different approach to it, but the same kind of idea. You know, this kind of sparring relationship. Oh, they they fancy each other really, but they're going to be arguing and they're going to do all this. You just feel like saying, "Oh, Willie, will you shut up?" And it's awful because you shouldn't be in that position. You know, a feeling like she's an annoyance because she's just poorly written as a character and and, it, and it, it's it doesn't the film is trying to sell you on that and it becomes a bit of a burden i think to the movie yeah i mean without defending too much of how willie's written i am the only person in the world who never really liked that screwball dynamic of the man being like hey we don't get along but we should totally flirt and by the end of the movie we'll be partners and possibly married forever because that's the rule of the production code i kind of like that this is two people who flirt like they hate each other and seem to actually hate each other as opposed to like the no but like as opposed to like the standard hollywood romantic ideal of oh they flirt like they hate each other but really underneath it all this is what a wholesome relationship looks like i get the sense when you watch temple of doom you know that this is not going to be a wholesome relationship you get a sense that this is not going to be a healthy romantic kind of fantasy of oh they don't really like each other but underneath each other underneath it they do and I think, like, the fact that you know that she's, like, sent out to pasture for the next film, you already kind of know that. And the fact that, like, things like she's trying to leave and he pulls her back and she gets sprayed by an elephant instead of kissing him. They do kiss at the end. But it's it does... it. I don't know. I kind of like that the movie's, like, this is, like, this is a dysfunctional Hollywood relationship, but it's actually dysfunctional to a point where it feels uncomfortable watching it. But was she ever meant, do you think, to be that... Sorry, Darren. Was she Was she ever meant to be that kind of recurring character though because i get the sense that it, yeah, it is like, like that bond james girl. bond girl thing yeah. back then when that was ubiquitous in the roger moore era and the previous era but they did try to bring back marion like they, they did, did. Try to bring that's back. true so maybe that is maybe it's just Karen the fact that, that they would have brought back willie in last crusade 
But then but, they would have had to leapfrog. They would have had to leapfrog Raiders. Is the thing uh, well, do I, I, I don't. And again, I don't. I know they don't care about continuity. Or but anything it also like that, wouldn't have I, made any sense. It would, she would have really stuck out in that plot like a sore thumb. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. an entirely different story. Um, yeah. So she didn't fit in that. So I'd like to think it was a creative choice. In that, actually, when you get a script like Last Crusade, she doesn't make any sense in that story. But had she been maybe. Had things gone differently, would they have created a story for Willie to carry on? It just doesn't seem that way. It's strange. It feels like she's the opposite of Marion and so many. Yeah, like even yeah. with the, the way she's dressed and presented, and and you know the idea of um, Indy being like, "Hey, the spikes coming down. Can you put your hand in the little buggy wall and press a thing?" Marion would be like, "Yeah, done. There's yeah, no done. Yeah, yeah like, totally. Yeah, yeah problem yeah. solved. Yeah, but like I, I, and that's the thing is that like take Raiders for example, which is a much better film by any measure any objective measure raiders is a much better film and nobody is disputing that but you look at say the relationship between indy and marion there and everyone's all like oh marion's fantastic and karen allen is fantastic but you're also like he slept with her when she was a teenager Mm. and we're meant to be rooting for the two of them to be together at the end because they're feisty and they have banter and they're like you know they, they kind of like bounce off each other and they have that spark I, I didn't, the, I'd uh, rather take Temple of Doom and it's these people hate each other and they will never see each other again. I didn't over get that. The, the teenager thing until recently. Okay. Like I only found that, yeah. that out like that, that horrifying detail, you know, because yeah. as a child, you're just like, oh, there is an adult woman and an adult man. This is fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, that, I heard that recently. It was like horrified. And it was like, oh, surely that's just somebody with a calculator added up the dates wrong. And then. Saw some like nope. George Lucas comments being like, "Yeah, and they got together when they were thirteen, and I'm like, wait, what? What? <laughs> yeah, we actually discussed that moment on the previous episode. Actually, oh, yeah. that's good. No, it. My only yeah, comment yeah. on that would be Harrison Ford did accept Roman Polanski's Best Director Oscar, so we'll just leave. <laughs> yeah, we'll just leave that statement out there. But like, yeah. So I and again, this is me being far more generous to the movie than I really, really should, and none of this is suggested by the text. Um, it's because you hate Twitter. <laughs> you want, <laughs> you're just tired of using it. And you, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wanted to be rendered further on. Yeah, no, you're, I, you're, I don't know. I want to set fire to yourself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Shedding Kalima. Well, I mean, yeah, in terms of it being a divorce <laughs> movie, it is a movie where hearts are literally ripped out and set on fire. I lo- in case I you don't the get the subtext ripping, of what we're way. talking about. <laughs> the ripping was, it was great. No, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it was felt, like, it felt kind of I, stop motion y. I saw Videodrome recently for the first time, and it really felt like that. <laughs> like. <laughs> What if you try to put the heart in the V in the VHS player? Um, like, just trying to press eject there on James Woods and see what happens. Um, all right, then. In terms of Temple of Doom, is there anything we haven't talked about? Anything jumping out of people? Anything that we want to discuss? Um, I, I sort of like similarly like the the kid aspects of it. I kind of think are and and just to Andrew's point there about the heart. You know, the heart sequence is. Fun, like it's fantastic in a way because it's so dark and not really what you're expecting nearly to see something that horrifying in, in a children's film and that really stood out to me as a, a kid and my memories of watching it is just how horrifically violent that scene is and I mentioned before expecting Indiana Jones to save this man and it just not happening and it's part of the reason that these films I think do stick in children's minds and, and certainly st- stuck in my mind because it, it, it's so dark and gruesome and, and things like that. So I, I get why Spielberg has turned around in, in years after and said, it, we, we kind of went too far with that one. But I kind of think, yeah, even though it is violent, it's sort of, it's still kind of cartoony violence. 
Um, yeah. And I think mm-hmm. like things like the the bats, you know, the, the sequence where they're coming up to the, the temple and the sky is like black with like fluttering bats and even the statues and stuff he's walking up to. Those were the things I remember as a kid just being loving because they felt so lush and vibrant and, and scary. And that's why I think I really loved Indiana Jones because of the, that, that, that like fantasy element of it. Um, but then I think, and I presume we're going to talk about it a little bit, the, the nadir of that is the sequence where they eat the, the dinner, which yes. stuck in my brain as a kid. And I was like, oh, gross. And I read in that same interview with the um, screenwriters, I think they were defending being like, well, the whole thing was an ironic joke because obviously yeah. Indian people only eat vegetables. Um, so and I was thinking, no, it wasn't. That was mm-hmm. literally like the way little boys pick up earthworms and like chase girls. Like, it's gross, isn't it? Look <laughs> at it. Like, that's what that feels like. You're just like, yeah. what if they ate gross food? Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that, that child aspect of it, I think, is kind of interesting. Yeah, no, like, yeah, you're right, that post hoc justification where it's like, oh, it's a joke that they're playing on the kind of foreigners is that the argument that the writers are making. It's like, no, if you actually thought that you would put a scene in that would explain that you wouldn't need to justify it after the fact. Post hoc justification is okay, though, in case we've said anything. We need to post hoc justification. We regret our statements. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We would apologize Dar- to Mr. Spielberg and his lawyers. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was clearly misconstrued. Yet Darren says, after offering so much post hoc justification from everything else in the film. But no, no, I, I think that, yeah, that, that sequence. In terms of sequels, actually, like, I, again, go to bat for Temple of Doom because it does that thing that I like with sequels where. With a sequel, you have, like, two options, generally speaking. And those are, you do the same movie again, but with a bigger budget and a bigger cast. Or you try and turn it into, like, a trilogy or an arc or an epic. So, you know, you do things like you make Star Wars again, or you make The Empire Strikes Back, and then it's like, oh, this is just part of a larger saga. What I like about Temple of Doom is that it it does neither of those things. Where Raiders of the Lost Ark is this big globe-trotting epic adventure where he like travels across the world and he goes to Nepal and he goes to Egypt and then he ends up on the island and places like that and he ends up on a U-boat. Whereas Temple of Doom is like, no, how about he just goes into the basement of a giant palace and stays yeah. there for like most of the movie and he's got a kid with him and it's like... I really like that like approach to making it where it's just like it's just another Indiana Jones adventure, but it's not a yeah. carbon copy mm. of Raise the Lost Ark. And I think, you know, if I were to make I think The Last Crusade is a better movie, to be clear. Darren's saying this a lot when he makes points about Temple of Doom. I think the movie that I'm about to compare it to is a better movie, but I do when I watch like The Last Crusade, I think that really feels like somebody burnt their hand on the stove. And they're like, well, what the feck do we do? We go back and we do Raiders again. It's going to be another Judeo-Christian artifact. It's going to be Hitler wants to get a hold of it. It's going to be India is going to be fighting Nazis. That's what we're doing. Um, it's going to be globetrotting. It's going to have like, you know, the secret mythology to it and stuff like that. It's like, let's get as far away from this thing we did that was different as possible. And well- I, I think, sorry, no, just to interrupt you, Alex, um, I think it was Steve Spielberg's idea was to make three movies that represented like the major religions. <laughs> and, 
Yeah. No, I, I, I do. I worry I sound um, like that guy in Alex's film class. That's, a, that's like think... my chronic fear. Like when I was a kid, I worried my parents were going to get divorced and I was going to be enslaved underneath a gigantic palace. Now I worry I'm the guy saying, no, no, no. But if you look at what Spielberg's actually doing. Sorry, Alex, cut you off. No, I was going to say, I think that's a very good point about um, how different it is to the first one. And I think that is does require a sort of creative bravery to, to really go left when, you know, the, the previous film was so well established and so successful. And I think I haven't seen the fourth one in a long, long time, but I do remember the moments of it that rang particularly hollow were when it was self-referential, when it would be like, oh, yes. look, it's the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, look, it's doing this. And I think there was really only one time in, in Temple of Doom where they kind of do that. And it was when at the end, he runs around the corner and two guys with big swords come out because in the first one, back. yeah, he has, mm. you know, the one guy with a sword and then he hilariously takes out the gun and shoots the guy. <laughs> but in this one, there are two and he reaches for his gun. But even that's silly because <laughs> you just have to like bare fist fight like 90 people. Like you would have had known if you'd had your gun like two <laughs> minutes that's, ago. That's, that's also a, a Star Wars shout out as well because that's the moment where Han chases the guy with the gun and then turns Yeah, around. and then runs around. But it, yeah. it felt like that felt a little hollow. But I remember at the time thinking they really didn't do much of that though for a big 1980s silly mm. sequel, you know? Like, I would love more sequels like this that weren't like, hey, you remember exactly what you loved about the previous film. Here's more of it piled on top. It's like, no, we're going to do something weird that you don't expect them to do. And it suits Um, the, like, serial aspect of it, that they're kind of like, we can drop this guy anywhere in the world and he'll have an adventure. Like, it does suit the kind of thing they were going for, I think. Even in a version of India that is no, bears no relation to a country that actually exists in the world. Um, I feel like it would have been a much better movie if he had landed in like Latveria or um, <laughs> Kadak or somewhere like that. Is that the is that the West Wing Middle East? <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? Murak or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's still a bundle of you know stereotypes that are not flattering but at least it seems like you put thought into it um that you're like yeah we don't want our racist stereotypes to seem too on the nose to be clear um in terms of others i think (laughs) sorry (laughs) in terms of of other stuff like again lucas is kind of interesting because lucas and like this is the thing where (laughs) i don't i don't always agree with lucas i don't always think he makes good films don't think he always makes good choices but I kind of admire the level of Lucas not caring about how other people react to the decisions that he makes. And like Spielberg seems behoven to how he is perceived by other people. And for obvious reasons, for reasons that we talked about in this podcast, but also because he's desperate to be seen as a continuing commercial director at this point, because he saw what happened to Scorsese. He saw what happened to Friedkin. He saw what happened to Coppola. He saw what happened to uh, De Palma. Spielberg, you see throughout his career, is consciously like, no, I need to prove I can make money. I need to prove I know what's hip with the kids. That's how you end up with, I would argue, Ready Player One. Ready Player One is Spielberg saying, no, I, I still got it. I still with the kids. I still know what the kids like. They like uh, video games. Yeah, video games. That's what we're going to do. Um, and like every time, every time Spielberg does something odd or unusual that is awkwardly received, he's like, let me course correct and give you more of the thing that you like. Um, so, like, you could argue even Crystal Skull is a course correction after all those weird, dark, like, tw- 2000s blockbusters like War of the Worlds. It's like, no, 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 let me give you more of what you like. It's Indiana. Mm. It's going to have all the old stuff in it. And I you like think that Spielberg secretly wants to be Lucas and or wants to kind of have that sort of approach. And it, oh, it, it, I don't care. I made what I made. Kind of, 
they're collaborations where it's like I'll just do it with you and then blame yeah. you <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's the best of both worlds yeah. and, and you won't mind because like, like Lucas when they yeah. ask but it's like Spielberg says this was your idea so he's like yep it was my idea so I want to be clear on that like there's a moment where like he, he's interviewed by Grantland he's been interviewed by Grantland and like Spielberg is like no I don't want to talk about Temple of Doom I don't want to like I don't want to like why are you asking me about Temple of Doom like I apologize for it I'm so sorry and then they go to Lucas People say, why is it so dark, Lucas said. Then he began to explain. I was going through a divorce, and I was in a really bad mood, so I wanted to do dark. And Steve then broke up with his girlfriend, so he was sort of into it too. That's where we were at that point in time, which is great as well. And like, sometimes less flatteringly when he's like called out on like the horrible racism, where he's like, we tried to make a film with other villains that got attacked from every which side. It's a very interesting problem that's come up. There are so many special interest groups now that no matter when you make a film, somebody's going to be very offended because we live in a capitalist system that responds to economic pressure. It very much restricts your creative filmmaking. Most filmmakers don't have to deal with these issues, but once you reach a certain level of success, the standards are raised and you have to right all the wrongs of the world. I don't see that as my job. That's very much Lucas, the slave trader mm. kind of comment. Remember that when he mm. sold Star Wars to uh, to Disney and his response was like, it was like seeing it go to a slaver. And it's like, Jesus, George. Maybe, maybe Concept, don't say yeah. the first thing. Yeah, it reminds don't, me don't of um, Ridley Scott when he was asked uh, about making Exodus Gods and Kings, and he gave like a quite honest answer in the first part, where he was like, they were complaining about casting, you know, Aaron Paul, and Joel Edgerton, yeah. and Joel Edgerton as Africans, and he was like, the thing is, audience dictate this and economics, and people aren't going to go see a film if I cast. Now, he meant to say a Muslim, or he should have said a Muslim actor or a, an African actor or a, a minority actor. And instead, he just said, Muhammad, whatever. So about, and I was like, immediately, <laughs> completely yeah. the wrong thing to say. Mm. But he did, you know, the first part of it where he was sort of indicating like, yeah, but some of this is a reflection of studios and audiences and, and, the, and the, you know, then completely revealed his own racism. George Lucas, mm. though much more like that's very interesting and it's interesting that you're bringing up like spielberg because yeah spielberg as you say he will make one big giant ready player one and then be like oh guys well, by the way though i can also do the post with tom hanks yeah. and win oscars simultaneously and, whereas yeah. george lucas i do tintin is... and the warhorse at the same time yeah. and lucas yeah lucas mm -hmm. has like the screw you money yeah he's just gonna... like, i'm gonna make three <laughs> weird cgi films full of racial stereotypes and make zero apology for them and just keep making them every <laughs> every year <laughs> This is what yeah. you want. This is what you're getting. Yeah. But like, I mean, obviously, yeah, the racism is is actually like objectively terrible, and he should probably reconcile with that or kind of confront that. But like, there's an element of the creation. He wants to. Though. No, he doesn't want to, <laughs> um, which is a problem. Uh, which He's is very much a problem. Like, um, he but also like, hates sand. Uh, <laughs> it's coarse and it's rough and it gets everywhere, Andrew. But like things like Lucas kind of like when he was asked about the sequels and asked about the sequel trilogy and his plan for the sequel trilogy, he's like, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what my plan was. And he tells, he, he relates it in great detail. And he's also like, the fans would have hated it. And it's like, the subtext of that is it would not have stopped me from making the movies that I wanted to make. And I, again, I kind of weirdly like that if you could divorce that from the, the racist, people who have yeah. actual concern <laughs> yeah people who have actual legitimate concerns about like my racism if you could divorce that from fans who have obsessive like concerns about the purity of indiana jones as a character um well all, like, all the people who are uh, who like want your 
your letterbox to be like less woke. Like they'll watch those movies. <laughs> it, 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 it but they'll hate them. those movies they, though. Like no, they'll they'll hate those movies, but they won't hate them because they're racist. They'll hate them because like where's the fun? This isn't the terrible. Star. Yeah, but, okay. Well, <laughs> because they're they're shot on digital, or because they use CGI, or because they right, aren't exact yeah. replicas of what came before, or because they don't do all of the shout outs or the references or the homages. Um, that right. kind of stuff. Like I, again, like. That's the push and pull well, of Lucas, the, where it's like in, he in makes fairness, bad choices, but he also doesn't he doesn't seem like he cares what other people think of him, which is interesting when he's partnered with Spielberg. I forgive bad movies more when it was always like the maker's intention to make a bad movie. I I I I, I like it less when when it's kind of a movie that was intended to please everybody. You know, yeah. where where it's terrible because it's 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 so kind of it feels sort of um, uh, manufactured and kind of by committee, and, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I I think you've spoken about it with the new Star Wars movies. How 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 there is a kind of like they put stuff in to satisfy um, the um, kind of uh, concerns about like diversity and inclusion. But only in a very kind of um, in a way that can be cut out in a way that Chinese they can remove and, for the exactly yeah. for, for the Chinese, Chinese market and uh, a way yeah. in which like it doesn't obstruct fans who maybe don't like that sort yeah. of thing. You know, it, they it's can that, pretend they didn't see. They it. can yeah. pretend. You yeah, can hold your breath and for, for, then it's over, and you can enjoy your yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like again, it, it's really weird. Again, that's that's the other side of the coin here, and it's it's really strange that you have like yeah that Lucas is just not caring at all about it um and finally last controversy that we should probably talk about when we talk about temple of doom the movie that invented the pg-13 rating um and again the culmination arguably of um you know sort of like the trend that we talked about with raiders where would you show this to a kid because this is arguably even more graphic and intense and unsettling even more reveling in the violence and the brutality of it um and apparently yes yeah, so what, what happened is it was there was like controversy at the time. There were articles saying it was far, far, far too much. The British, the British Board of Film Censors already sent a letter to Paramount detailing numerous changes that must be made if this movie is to receive a PG-13 rating in Britain. Um, James Freeman, the secretary of the British Board, could not even receive them. Said it could not even receive the more restrictive 15 rating. To get a 15 rating, he said, a scene depicting the slow burning to death of a man who is in absolute agony must be trimmed. Spielberg, the movie's director, acknowledged during a television interview that there's a 20-minute section in the middle of Temple of Doom that he would not allow a 10-year-old child to see, even if he had his hand over the child's eyes, which is kind of amazing. And so it was this and the response to Gremlins, where they put, I think, Mogwai in a microwave. Um, That also kind of provoked some controversy as well. So that is where Spielberg proposed the PG-13 rating. Um, He rang up, as we talked about last week, he talked to his friend uh, Jack Valenti, he literally picked up the phone and said, you know, unfair that certain kids are exposed to Jaws, but also unfair that certain films were restricted that kids who are 13, 14, 15 should be allowed to see. So I said, let's call it PG-13 or 14, depending on how you want to design the slide rule. And Jack said, yep, PG-13 is the right kind of right age for that temperature of movie, uh, which is kind of fascinating as well. And two months after Gremlins, one month after Temple of Doom, you got your first PG-13 movie. That was John Milius' Soviet invasion war movie, Red Dawn. And a month oh, after... Oh, yep, you lose. Fir- <laughs> you lose. A month after that, 
the National Coalition on Television Violence condemned Red Dawn as, and I quote, the most violent movie ever made. Feels like an overreaction. I think so, yeah. Like the the Yeah, I I, I don't there if there were an invasion of the United States by the Soviet Union and Cuba, I feel like there would probably be some bloodshed. <laughs> um <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, it doesn't feel kind of, it's it's strange that there isn't more than in that movie, um, I guess, if anything. Um, it doesn't feel egregious. Um, and of course, the kid who played Short Round apparently did not realize how dark the movie was until he came out and he read all the reviews, which I do kind of like. That's very, that's very The Kid in The Shining. Must be protected. At well, all he does costs. feel like he's in a different um, movie. He's like consistently fun and like... Yeah, he was asleep. I, I love the, the <laughs> on a couch. the terrible stuff. Yeah. yeah, I love the I love the sequence, and again, it's really well directed by Spielberg. Like sequences like the bit where Indy's in his room and the mural comes to life. Yeah, and the guy starts like strangling him from that. That's a fantastic shot. Sequences like the bit where they're having the argument and Indy closes the doors, and then she opens her door and he opens his, and you have the kind of like the camera play and stuff like that, which is fascinating as well. Um, and yeah, They're rubbish doors, by the way. Mm, I noticed that they're not, <laughs> yeah. not, yeah, they blow open in a breeze and they're not keeping noise. <laughs> yeah. <out. laughs> All right. Um, anything else? Oh, uh, by the way, yeah, sorry. And another Lucas quote as well, where where Spielberg tries to throw Lucas under the bus, and Lucas is like, "No, both of us are going, or neither of us is going." <laughs> um, Spielberg's like. I think Temple of Doom was ahead of its time for my own sensibility and exactly right on schedule for George's. George, (laughs) George was going through a dark period. I certainly see it now in my filming, but before that, it was a bit of a struggle against common sense to go as dark as we did. That's Spielberg. Cut to Lucas. (laughs) Part of it was I was going through a divorce. Stephen had just broken up and we were not in a good mood. So we decided we'd do something a bit more edgy. It ended up darker than we thought it would be. Once we got out of our bad moods, which went on for a year or two, we kind of looked at it and went, hmm, we certainly took it to an extreme. But that's kind of what we wanted to do, for better or worse. I think that goes to your point, Darren, about like, yeah, Spielberg's, he's making, you know, he's qualifying, he's clarifying, he's using the liability statements again. And yeah, George Lucas is like, yeah, we were both sad, depressed, divorced dudes and dudes rock. And we both made this film. (laughs) (laughs) And like, Um, you do kind of inevitably think, yeah, Lucas kind of seems more... At least owns it. At least owns this, Mm. yeah, sad, sad film. Because they're still friends. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like they're, yeah, it's just, yeah, I I agree with Alex. It seems like... um, Lucas is more kind of comfortable, maybe, with yeah. us. <laughs> Hanging around, approving the Clone Wars or whatever it is um, <laughs> that he does nowadays. Um, all right, then. And I will note, actually, in terms of divorce dad energy, it is worth noting that Indiana Jones goes shirtless for a lot of this. And uh, Harrison Ford hired a personal trainer to get that 80s body. Uh, if we're going if we're going to commit to this divorce dad energy aspect of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Body by Jack, I think, is the guy that he hired. All right, then. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed already with Temple of Doom? Anything jumping out at people? Oh, one, one quick thing. Uh, right at the start, after Indiana has been poisoned by um, something deadly, uh, they show him a cure, and then his friend comes over, and his friend is called Wuhan. He no. gives <laughs> all the clues. <laughs> 
all I'm going to say, people. It's all there on screen. You have found something nobody else ever had. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. amazing. <laughs> uh, apparently, yeah, um, Harrison Ford had back trouble during the movie as well. I think the riding elephants, because they shot all the location work first. Um, and that's kind of like a lot of the work was done by a stunt double as well. So Vic Armstrong uh, did a lot of the work. Um, and that's why a lot of the shots of Indy are from the back. Doesn't he smoke bit. loads of dope? There's actually a really. He just have done that while. There's like, a really. There's a really good story about. It. I think it was the shooting the third one, and very Harrison Ford esque was uh, his driver told this story. He didn't have any uh, rolling papers or a pipe to smoke his morning weed that he apparently would just get blitzed on before arriving to the set. So he was staying in some hotel. How in is he? How is he not chill? Like yeah. the, the weird. Like, <laughs> He's so gross. How much you need? How much you need to take the edge off? How, anyway, sorry. So um, what he did is apparently he got like a, a saucepan because there was a little kitchenette in the hotel room, and he just like dumped it in there and put the lid on and like heated it up. And then in the car, the driver said he just like was going and then would just open the saucepan, stick his face in, and go. <laughs> that's amazing it's amazing yeah. i think i i think i heard great greg probster told like the um, yeah that uh, must have been where i heard yeah. that yeah, yeah it was on some yeah. um uh, that's that one that was it the nerdist it was i think it was that one the guy hosts about like i was there too it was called where he talked oh, to yes, people yeah, who were yeah. like in the background of, Matt Gurley, of things. Yeah. it was good yeah Matt Gurley, that's his name it was good the great. indiana jones one was good because Greg Proops was in, he was like a pod racer announcer or something, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, in episode in, one. Yeah. yeah, that's what he, he was, yeah. a talking head or something, yeah, and, and described all that. <laughs> I haven't listened to that podcast in a while. That's a good one, though. It's good. I think they've stopped doing them. Oh, okay. There's a new, a new new one now where he talks about, um, like, uh, horror movies with Paul Rust. Oh, very good. Bit shameless promotion there for that show. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly in terms of reaction, actually, just because I, I kind of pulled up some of the reviews here, which are stunning. Um, so like People Magazine review went like both barrels on this. All the verve, wit and happily cartoonish imagination that made Raiders such a triumph seem to be back. But then what follows must be the most unconscionable 45 minutes in movie history. A relentless, tedious stream of graphic brutality. Children are whipped and kicked. One sacrifice victim's heart is torn out of his chest, and then, somehow still alive, he's very slowly deep-fried in a pit of molten something or other. People are chained, shot, ground up, crushed, stabbed, poisoned, thrown to crocodiles, clubbed, attacked using voodoo dolls, bounced off rocks, drowned. <laughs> this is all depicted in the most detailed, sadistic way. It is an astonishing violation of the trust people have in Spielberg and Lucas's essentially good-natured approach to movies intended primarily for kids. If they had set out to prove that they could get away with anything, insult the intelligence of viewers and literally make them sick, they couldn't have done it more effectively. The ads that say this movie may be too intense for younger children are fraudulent. No parent should allow a young child to see this traumatizing movie. It would be a cinematic form of child abuse. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> People Beat Magazine, giving it, giving it both barrels. <laughs> All right, then. Um. So, anything else we're talking about? Anything we haven't discussed already? So, Tony, anything? Nope. No. Perfect. All right it was then. Some bad choking technique. We've spoken about that before when we talked about Anton Chigurh. But they're, they're like Indy would be dead if his assassin was better at killing people. I guess you can say that about so many movies. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
You need like that, that moment where Willie's kind of put in the in the carousel. She's like, I'm gonna tell people how terrible this place was. Like literally saying, I want to talk to the manager and I will leave a bad Yelp <laughs> review if you do not stop trying to sacrifice me. Um, and again, we should mention that the thuggies. And again, this is the horrible, horrible racism of the stuff where like the thuggies were just like they were an organized crime ring. They weren't like some secret cabal. And the way in which it messes up. And again, I am not surprising absolutely nobody. I am not an expert in Hindu theology. I do not claim to be. But like even the mytho- even the Hindu mythology of like Temple of Doom is a weird divorced dad kind of message because you have Kali and Shiva who in Hindu mythology are like the masculine and feminine aspects and they kind of exist and interplay. But when you watch Temple of Doom, it's like, no, Shiva is good and Kali is being worshipped as like this evil goddess by these Marriage men who live underground. Marriage is the black sleep of Kali. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, he like Harrison Ford gets red pilled. Indy gets like red pilled here or red juiced here anyway. Um but you I always know, thought that was like another divorce thing that he literally drinks too much and gets a little cold and brutal and starts <laughs> hitting children. He slaps, the, wife, ki- he slaps <laughs> the kid, yeah. He slaps Um Alright then. Um Alright then, so that about wraps it up then, unless anything else we want to talk about. So I'm gonna ask uh, Alex and Tony to recommend something for this or something they're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the podcast, something unrelated to the podcast. But give them a chance to think about it, I'm gonna ask Andrew to go first. Um I'd recommend the the, the rainforest um adventure golf. <laughs> um if you can find <laughs> Which you alluded to last clip. yeah, alluded to Yeah, earlier. yeah, exactly. They the because the the I didn't plug it in the last episode, but um uh, I'm going to run out of things to plug that are Indiana Jones related. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just crazy golf in indoors. It's like in Dundrum. I think it's in Belfast as well. It's very silly and you can take kids. Kids would enjoy it too. Or the kid in, in <laughs> the, the little kid inside, inside of all yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if you can find that pinball machine as well, the, um, the, 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 um, the Temple of Doom uh, pinball machine was pretty good. <laughs> um, the uh, and 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 I mentioned with Gorlium Rust, I believe is the name. It was called um, In Voorhees We In Trust. In Voorhees with, We Trust. With with, with and Rust, and then it became In Kruger We Trust with Kruger and Rust. <laughs> and um, yeah, they've had to change his name a few times. They they did In Xenomorphs We Trust with. Um, Ginomorph and Rust. Um, so yeah, yeah, they talk about like aliens and stuff. And a lot of the movies they talk about, I've never seen, and I'm never going to see, um, but enjoy it nonetheless. It's an easy listening. Uh, it's always over two hours, like uh... <laughs> like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, all right then, and Alex, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, I, I imagine this is either already being discussed or recommended, but um, if you did want a, a sort of better prequel story, I'd recommend the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which is like a TV oh, yeah. series that like it's very it, cerebral as well. It it's is kind of different. It's too. pretty good. I, I watched. And Harrison a, a Ford kid. shows up to talk about jazz, right? If he I does. Correctly. Like he shows up as a, an older Indiana Jones with like a beard in a, a Canadian set episode, and it's. It's quite silly and everything, but as a, even as a child, I kind of appreciated the respecting of the canon to get Harrison Ford to mm. show up for a very small budgeted TV series, or relatively small. But it's it's kind of you know uh, the only one I've I've always been interested in is there's one where young Har- young Indiana Jones shows up to Dublin, 
just in time yes. for the 1916 yeah. in Rising. But like, yeah, his Belgian friend is like in Dublin's fair city, yeah. where the girls are so pretty. And he meets like, <laughs> and a, he's having a great time. He meets a girl, and then she's like, "Have you met my brother, Sean O'Casey?" And like, there's a lot of like, <laughs> you know, oh, he met literally everyone famous that week. But what, what's what's kind of nice is he gets into like a little weird back and forth, uh, like a um, with a, a rivalry with someone else for the the love of this girl. And I, I think they are saying things about the eventual Irish civil war there because they kind of like eventually learn to get along. And, and it's very, you know, it's kind of the opposite to Temple of Doom. There, there seems to be a lot of detail in there that they were actually kind of interested in portraying. And each episode he goes to a different country in a different time. But it was surprisingly well made. I haven't seen it for years now. So I'll probably like people will be like, well, Alex, what about the blackface episode? And I had no idea. About it. <laughs> it's been a long time, but I do remember it being kind of well made. So, yeah, if you if you are interested in, in more Indiana Jones, I'd probably point you to that. Yeah. And it was disappointingly poorly received. Yeah. They gave it the they gave it the MacGyver spot after MacGyver, like but lead into Monday Night Football. And it was a big show, but people didn't it, it they didn't had put it on hiatus. As you said, it was very cerebral, I think was the issue. People yeah. expected more bull whips and stereotypes. Um, yeah, yeah, there was a lot you of could actually learn something. Yeah, right? it felt more educational. It would be like Indy arrives in a local place and then it turns over to whoever his local friend is who will tell you about that particular thing. But there were a lot of, like, really good actors in World War One stuff yeah, as well. Yeah, like, Daniel Craig is in it, and the Timothy Spall, and, and like, Jeffrey Wright, and all these people who were, like, you know... They, it's re- and then Harrison Ford shows up for one, and they, they even, like, do a sort of very old Indiana Jones with, like, an eye patch in the future in one episode, where presumably drinking from the cup has meant he's nearly, like, 200 years old or something. <laughs> But like, he's like hanging out in a museum and these two little kids are and he's like, look at all these treasures I stole and put in the museum, presumably. <laughs> but it's good. And it's it's very consistent and it has a lot of clearly passion there to make sure that this is consistent with an idea of Indiana Jones rather than the sort of like lazy dot drawing that we were talking about in Temple of Doom. So I'd recommend that. Perfect. And Tony, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, I, I mentioned last week about the, uh, the Harrison Ford pointing angrily film. So I'm going to recommend another one of those. Uh, the other one I've, I've watched lately, which is Clear and Present Danger, which is the the other franchise that he kind of did, if you can call it that, where he played Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy, um, after Indiana Jones. Uh, but I, I love those films. I mean, clearly I, I the only two more. franchise Harrison Ford has ever been involved in, just those two franchises. Yeah, I forgot one, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> Quite an important one. Um, yeah, the, one of the others. <laughs> I'll go back and say one of the others. Um but yeah, I love that. I love that. The, both those films are really good. I really love Clear and Present Danger. It's just a lot of... there. It's got the tensest sequence of two men printing out some paper you will ever see on screen. <laughs> uh, it's great. So yeah, I'd go and check that out. And Patriot Games? Yeah, I like that. Especially the uh, the, the the final act of that. It's got an amazing like boat, boat chase at the end of Fight, which is superb. Um, and yeah, and in terms of myself, I will just give a quick shout out to the Indiana Jones knockoffs because like Raiders of the Lost Ark was so successful, it inspired a wave of copycats, including Canon Films, Alan Tomb Quartering. Okay, well, no, I wasn't going quite that far in the future. I was going more like the 80s Sorry. kind of knockoffs. So things like, say, Canon Films, Alan, Quarter- Alan Quartermain and The Lost City of Gold, starring Sharon Stone, who apparently lost out on the role, I think, of Willie here, for example. Um, and She's obviously- unusual casting for Alan Quartermain, isn't she, Sharon Stone? <laughs> yeah, she is. Like, you could tell that, you could tell that it's... it's- <laughs> 
with the hat i think with, you know i'm not gonna judge i think i think the uh, the canon films were ahead of the time ahead of the curve in many respects gender blind casting was a key part of it um you'll tell me afterwards whether um, oh uh, whether it falls into the category of movie that andrew thinks that we need more of involving this an erotic thriller. Yeah. Um, and, and i will give a shout out to the other great kind of 80s like indiana joan counterpart trilogy which is the romancing the stone jewel yeah. of the nile and of course the unexpected and perhaps out of sorts divorce drama in the middle of it um that is the war of the, the, war roses, of the roses which, reun- which reunites michael douglas <laughs> kathleen turner and danny devito uh taking a bit of a sharp swerve it's the temple of doom of that franchise <laughs> i would argue um and recommend both of those actually those and films. um i think like we mentioned that spielberg is like when he did Raiders, he was at a low ebb. He needed to prove that he was king of the box office. By the time Temple of Doom comes out, he has done uh, Raiders. He has done E.T. They are like two of the biggest movies ever made. Temple of Doom makes a lot of money and he starts taking risks. And I think that his late 80s run is somewhat underrated and underappreciated. The Color Purple um, and also Empire of the Sun both of which are big awards plays. Um, and I think that they are underrated and undervalued in terms of like Spielberg's filmography. So I'd recommend those as well. Uh, so that's it in terms of me. All right, before we wrap up, so people looking for a bit more Alex, a bit more Tony in their lives, where can they find you guys? Watch out. So Alex, watch up there. Um, we're done another couple episodes of my podcast uh, when Irish eyes are watching. Actually, Tony just reminded me we should do Patriot games at some point because, yeah, Sean Bean is the Irish terrorist. It's pretty fun in that. And there's a lot of Harrison Ford pointing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Richard Harris is the Sinn Féin counselor. Yeah, like I was just remembering all that there. Yeah, that must be when we check out. So they'll be up, um, yeah, over the summer and we're, we're hopefully going to be doing a bit more of those. So that's, uh, if you just Google when Irish eyes are watching and we're on It will be a clear Stitcher and present podcast. A clear and <laughs> present podcast, hopefully. So absolutely check us out there. We aren't as productive as, as you guys in doing episodes, but um, yeah, we're coming up to about 50 soon. So we might do Taffin, I think, for uh, oh, number 50. The big one. The big one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, scrap this. We should do Catherine for our 250th. <laughs> we'll race you to it. Um, <laughs> uh, and Tony, where can I find you? Watch out. Watch up there. Yeah, check out uh, my Twitter, AJ Black Writer, for uh, all the things I'm doing. And uh, my podcast network, we made this. We made this network.com with shows, film, TV, music, loads of stuff to check out. So look for me over there as well. Perfect. Um, you can find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are available to listen to. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be continuing our Indiana summer by taking a look at perhaps Andrew's most beloved entry in the Indiana Jones franchise. That is I don't the last know crusade. yet. I'll have to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting to come back. Well, at least you're not pairing it with Temple of Doom. You're pairing it with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I can't see how that would <laughs> negatively affect your assessment of it whatsoever. Uh, but yes, we will have, Tony will be joining us again, our co-host yeah. for this intrepid adventure. But the wonderful Grace Duffy will be joining us for that discussion. Very, very much looking forward to that. I take it easy, guys. We'll be back next week. Bye. Thanks. Thank, yeah. you. Thank you so Thanks, much, guys. Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Thanks Tony. Tony. Thanks, Darren. Bye, guys.